Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 220th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's looking forward to a summer full of wonder and companionship. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, guess what has two thumbs and is platinum level two on Arena all of a sudden? Hmm. Alara. Yes. <laughs> She is she is smarter than her father, so. Well, congratulations on platinum. I now see. I don't have a scale here. How difficult is that to? Uh, uh, like, like I'm twenty and six in my last three drafts. So a seven two seven one and a three three or something, um, and one of the three threes three threes I, one of the matches in the three three I got burned by. Uh, arena shutting down just as I got into the match. So that one might have been... The deck still wasn't that great, but uh, I think it goes like bronze, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, mythic. And once you get up into like diamond and mythic, you're you're playing against the grinders pretty heavy. Okay, so it goes platinum, then diamond, then mythic. Yeah. Okay. So a ways away from true glory. But uh, not bad for, I think the real point I'm trying to make is that I did all that with five bucks. Um, Uh Oh. So the financial comparison, if you're a solid drafter from Arena versus Magic Online, it's really no comparison. One of the things that, that helps you accelerate your grind is it's all best of one, right? So you're not playing up to 21 games. Uh, to win your next free draft or whatever. You basically have to go, I think, four and three gets you plus 100 crystals versus what you put in. I think it's 1,500 crystals um, to draft, and 1,600 you get back if you go at least four and you have at least four wins before you have three losses. Um, so... On Magic Online, of course, you're usually three matches, which could be up to nine games. And I just find the whole process more flexible and faster on Arena. Especially if you know, if you once you get to know the format fairly well and you get up into the higher tiers, everybody's kind of playing pretty quickly unless there's a very complicated board state in play. Um, so, so being able to kind of plug in and plug out based on family and business requirements and the 
the fact that the system is basically set up so that you have to grind either standard or draft to generate enough free packs, which of course have no monetary value, but give you all the cards you might need for constructed. Sets up a system where if you're a solid drafter and you are doing reasonably well in a format, say at least five and three on average, then you're going to just end up with like all the cards in Ikoria. Like I've only, I think I've done maybe it's probably either nine or 10 drafts now, all off that initial $5 without putting any other money in. Did use a few free draft codes along the way that I, that I either had handy or had got from some of our discord members. Um, and looking over my rares and mythics for Ikoria, I'm about 65% of the way there to having wow. complete sets. That's quite and, a bit. And I have a whole bunch of wild cards, and I've filled in the blanks already on most of, uh, you know, Shocklands, for instance. You're going to want 40 rare wild cards for those because you're going to want a full place out of those to play Historic, which will later hopefully be Pioneer. Um, and, you, you know, you're going to want your Uros and your Teferis and whatever, depending on what kind of player you tend or what kind of constructed decks you tend to want to build. So anyway, I've got an article forthcoming on all of it, but, uh, and I've got a pretty sweet deck lined up that I've drafted but haven't played yet, uh, where there's, it's got Gairuda as the potential companion, but to play him, I would have to give up six or seven key staples and run three pieces of chaff. So I, I find the, the format pretty skill testing in terms of both build and play uh less so in the drafts where there's just tons of playables for ikoria yeah and i mean i would assume most players aren't going to need the full the four of the entire set anyways that's not something that your average player needs access to um and i mean in paper you don't usually have that either it's either you know you have your play set or whatever of the relevant card and then beyond that it's you have a little bit of it but i never had full play sets of an entire set yeah it's more like the combination of random cards you get in the packs you win plus cards you draft which you're keeping of course plus conversion of your wild cards um get maneuvering into position where you could build say a couple of kinds of decks uh so anyway, uh, surprisingly enjoying Arena and uh, really liking Ikoria draft. So hopefully uh, folks that are listening are having a similar experience. Yeah, that was that was their whole angle, uh, I think. So it sounds like they're at least hitting their target. That's good. And I'm just committed to trying to do this without putting cash into the system to see if skill is enough. Because if it is pretty solid side hobby of on you know portion of my magic time i'm willing to a lot if i can build to the point where i can indeed run a pretty solid historic deck and draft more or less for free (laughs) of course i will put a few hours into that per week sure and i mean you know it's one of those things where even if you've got a slow drip of loss even if you're not winning enough to make your money back, if you can slow it down considerably and be creating a collection at the same time, you're still probably realistically ahead of the game. I think especially can you figure that you're probably enjoying the process as well. I think if you're only a three and three drafter, I think I'll have to double check. Maybe 
I think you get 1400 gems. So I think you're like, you're down a hundred gems, which is like roughly a dollar or whatever. Um, or 70, 70 cents. If it's 1400 to draft and you're down about a hundred gems, that's less than 10%. It's like yeah. a 7% loss. Yeah. I think it, it's I think much. that's correct. Um, it's either that or four win- four and three is fourteen hundred and five and three is sixteen hundred. That sounds maybe that's right. I think that's right. So so I think if you're at least a four and three, you're only bleeding the less than ten percent. I have a feeling three and three is twelve hundred, so you're bleeding three hundred, so about twenty percent of your draft cost, which is still not bad. No, no, it's not. I mean, ultimately those numbers are minimal when you figure you know you compare it to a paper draft where you're paying ten dollars and you're likely eating that entire ten dollars let me just bring this up so it looks like premier draft ikoria three wins is a thousand gems so three and three puts you down 500 gems get this right uh four wins is 1400 which is the slow bleed so 14 i got it right with the five and the four being 1600 and 1400 but three wins isn't 1200 it's a thousand Okay. So, still pretty solid cuz you could you're basically going to have have to top up the cost of a draft every 3 drafts or so if you're only going 3 and 3. Um that's still not terrible again nope. compared to what you were paying what you pay in paper. And yeah. I don't know what the draft costs looked like on Moto well enough. To speak to that, is it how much better than Moto is it? I mean, it's sort of a, like pretty close. I think if I recall correctly, Moto for ages was fifteen ticks, <clears throat> right? Just basically fifteen bucks. That sounds roughly correct. Yeah, yeah. And I think the the gem costs. I'd have to look them up here. I don't have them in front of me. Um, but I got. I'm not doing it, so I don't really have it tip of the tongue. But it seemed about. Like roughly equivalent within a couple of dollars. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the the key here is that because you're playing your variance in seven single games is less generally than the prize variance of three o versus two one in traditional Magic Online drafts, where like the prize drop off is pretty is pretty steep. Right. So if you if you can three o regularly, then you're you're infinite on Magic Online as well. But I think if you're two one, you fall behind significantly quicker than if you're say five three on Arena. Yeah, the margin. It's just you have so many fewer options, right? It's either you're at a hundred percent match win rate or sixty six. There's no denominations in between. Yeah. All right, so I'm pulling together an article on all that, and we'll get to it shortly. What else is on the agenda this week? <laughs> Basically just going to say, uh, don't be that bad at magic, and you should be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the rest of this week, we're going to cover segment one, our top mover, or I'm sorry, not top movers. That's uh, that's an old habit. Um, our metagame week in review. We've got standard, pioneer, and modern, and the results should not surprise you. Segment two, our top paper movers, uh, and top. then following that, our top moto movers, so the cards that have moved the most in price these last two, this last week. Se- the next segment, uh, the latest bannings. We saw 
a card banned in vintage for the first time since 1996. Do you know what card was banned in vintage in 1996? You can think about it on the way there. Uh, as well as some changes to what is it like brawl or historic or brawl it must be brawl um, and what the changes here mean for the future and finally segment four our paper cards to watch looks like we looks like we lost our moto cards to watch this week james um but yeah okay let's get started over here on the metagame week in review and you had a, a little bit of a a summary for me here and i looks like the takeaway is that it was a pretty good still pretty good for companion in in standard right now well more like companions dominating across multiple formats um, pretty much everywhere that they didn't just get banned out of uh so we're looking at the standard challenge the pioneer challenge the modern challenge from may 18th uh, which was the Monday this week, and the modern super qualifier from the weekend, which was on the 17th, which was my birthday. And the story in Standard and Pioneer is pretty clearly that Yorion is all over the place. It was five of eight of the top eight decks in the Standard Challenge, five of eight of the top eight decks in the Pioneer Challenge, and it was 11 of 16 and 10 of 16, respectively. And then as you move into modern, it's the story shifts from Yurion to Lurus, um, where Lurus is very strong across multiple archetypes, but not quite as dominant as Yurion is in the younger formats. Um, it just seems like the standard and pioneer formats are not quite fast enough to punish the 80 card decks that Yurion produces. Mm. Yeah, it's... These numbers that we're looking at here, uh, you know, Yorion really cleaning up across the board. Um, that that's just that's pretty surprising to me. I guess it seems like it would have been so hard to predict not that long ago. No one flagged Yorion as being like it's currently thirty five percent of the meta in both Standard and Pioneer, and Lurus is only thirty percent of the meta in Modern by point of comparison. Yeah, it's just shocking because who would have thought that the 60-card deck, or I'm sorry, the 80-card deck strategy would be this good? Yep. Right? It just it just seems so wild that that's the takeaway here. But if you've played against... I've played against Jeskai, Yorion, Luka, Agent of Treachery a few times now. It is a demoralizing deck to play against. Like it's just, it is an absolute beating from the mid-game forward. Hmm. They just stare... It's haymaker after haymaker, and it never lets up. Mm. Um, and then in Pioneer, it's more about Yorion Inverter. It's it's Inverter of Truth decks running 80 cards to squeeze in the Yorion. Hmm. Which is a fascinating development as well. I guess... Yeah, that's it seems so odd to me, the way they've, they've broken with these decks. But at the same time, they're they're clearly functioning. They're clearly good. So first place in, in the standard challenge was the aforementioned Jeskai, uh, Yorion, Luka deck, Super Busto. Uh, I, I feel like it's a problem in the format. I feel like it's going to get addressed because I don't see anything likely. It doesn't look like the meta can shift to beat this. There's a few other decks we'll see in the top eight here that are competitive, but they're they're not ever... They, they, I have yet to see a top eight where any of them overshadowed Yorion. 
they tend to squeeze into the top eight. They're a reasonable slice of the meta, but it still feels like this meta is very much about you're playing Yorion if you can bear to play it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. First and second was that deck. Third was the mono red deck, which is almost always present in standard. Uh, I think what puts the the mono red deck over the top is that they have a companion of their own. They get to play with Obosh, which doubles their damage once, once it hits the board. And that seems to do a lot of work. Uh, you can put the the Yorion deck under a lot of pressure, and if they stumble, the end you can just put it away. You know the same thing Mono Red's been doing for years and years. Uh, the fourth place deck was another Yorion build, but instead of being Jeskai, this one gets rid of the Lucas and the Agents of Treachery and plays more of a blue white control game. Narsets, Teferi, Time Ravelers, Brazen Borrower, Dream Trawler, Shatter the Sky, Absorb, Chemistry's Insight, Dovin's Veto, Mystical Disputes, Glass Caskets. Banishing Lights, Elspeth Conquers Death, Four Omen of the Sea, Four Shark Typhoon, which is a mainstay of every blue deck in the format, pretty much, and Three Birth of Melitus. Um, fifth place is Back to the Yorion, Jeskai Build. Sixth is a variant on the uh, Sacrifice decks that have been doing well in Standard pretty much for since Eldraine landed, uh, and they don't run any... Uh, companion which speaks te- is speaks testament to the power level this deck was working with even without companions on the scene and then seventh place was a pretty interesting white deck that i'm pretty sure i've played in the random uh leagues or not leagues the the random play area on arena this is four l seed of life's bounty four healers hawk one Hushbringer, four stone coil serpent and then it's basically a Boggles deck. It's four gods willing, four Karametra's blessing, four all that glitters, four glaring Aegis, four sentinel's eyes, two sentinel's mark, four solid footing. So you build up a creature real big and you protect it and you just keep hitting them till they're dead. <laughs> uh, seems fine enough, I guess. And of course they get to run Lurus, which puts makes this deck kind of the standard equivalent of the black-white enchantment deck um, that Lurus is run in for Pioneer. Uh, somebody figured out how to bring that one format forward. And then eighth was, again, the Jeskai Yorian build. So standard does not look very exciting. Um, looks pretty unbalanced. I actually have somebody on my friends list. Uh, two two micro stories here. One is Ari Lax was talking about standard. And you know his one of his rougher points was like, Listen, if you're if standard is in a place where the average player is going to tell their if someone if you have a friend who's never really gotten into magic and asked about playing standard and your reaction is to say you don't want to play right now, it's bad. That's a really bad thing. Like you do not as wizards, you don't want that going on. Um, and then, you know, he posted that on you today or yesterday or something like that. And then just today I was looking. Um, and another friend of mine who's, you know, kind of paid attention to magic a little bit on and off over the years uh, asked, like, hey, does anyone have any standard deck recommendations that aren't Yorian or really aren't companions in general that are because those are all just miserable? I want to play something fun. And uh, no one had a recommendation for him. Uh, so it just seems like it's just unfun to play with, unfun to play against. It's just kind of rough all over the place here. Yeah. So over in Pioneer, Yorion also won, uh, and also won Modern. So three formats, <laughs> same companion. Uh, in Pioneer, it was the Demir Inverter deck, as we discussed. Um, only thing that 
I flagged in there that we're not used to seeing in the format lately is a four trial of ambition. You go up to 80 cards. I guess you're looking for something, uh, something else that uh, gives you a little bit of extra utility on the creature control side of things. Um, second place was the pioneer version of mono red running Lurus. Third was a Niv-Mizzet Reborn deck, and this top aided in both uh, Pioneer and Modern in these challenges. Uh, new to this list since last I saw it, probably uh, Kunaros Hound of Athreos, a single copy out of Theros Beyond Death, uh, jumps out at me. You get to run 37 lands when your Niv-Mizzet deck is suddenly a Yorion Brew. And that gives your Bring Delights extra utility because you have 20 extra cards in the deck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. I, it's, it's all actually kind of funny to me that the Niv-Mizzet decks end up going Yorion because it always seemed like those had a problem with being having a little trouble scraping together enough playables in a way. Because you like have to hit all the color combinations, and you were already kind of playing rough cards, and now you have to add twenty more cards. It seems like a lot to have to put into the deck. Um, hmm. Well, a lot of the but a may, lot of maybe you're a lot already of it, playing chaff. So what's the what's the extra twenty cards? Well, a lot of it comes out of the lands because they go up to thirty seven and from presumably twenty six or twenty seven. So that's full ten. The other ten are cards. Um, that need to find homes, but I don't really see much chaff in this list. This is all pretty reasonable stuff. Nahiri, the Harbinger, Teferi, Time Raveler, Knight of Autumn, Kunaros, Four Niv Mizzets, Four Sylvan Caryatid, One Tolsmere, Four Uro, Two Voice of Resurgence, Spring Delights, Dreadbores, Extinction Event is new, uh, Two Thought Erasure, One Unmoored Ego, Two Abrupt Decay, Three Fatal Push, Two Oath of Kaya. I mean, those are all respectable cards. Uh, jumps out at me that there are four triomes in this list no more than that three four five seven triomes in this list uh, i think people are sleeping on triomes for constructed play up front they were talked about as mostly an edh thing i think that's going to prove to be wrong the fact that they are fetchable uh fix that they fix three colors and cycle uh seems like we're going to be seeing at least low to moderate play in Pioneer and Modern, and they're going to be staples and standard, plus the EDH thing. So they've been selling briskly uh, under 10 bucks for the uh, Showcase versions, and Showcase foils are sitting around 25 We're going to talk, in a, talk a little later in the cast about what I think the entry points should be, but certainly cards I have my eyes on. Did Were people talking about these as not being good? Yeah, people were talking about that. I think on our discussion with Daniel, we talked about them as primarily for EDH. Now we're calling into question my memory, which is never my strong suit. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. If that's what we said, that's what we said. Yeah, I think people just assumed that you, you could use you could use duels that could come into play untapped. And I think I made the comment like, yeah, but you could, I think Daniel said something to that effect. And I said, well, yeah, but you, a lot of the time you fetch at the end of their turn. So it doesn't really matter whether it comes into play untapped or not. Yeah. Which makes sense to me. Sure. 
So fifth place here in the Pioneer was a Return to the Ranks Rally the Ancestors build. This is probably what I would be tabling in Pioneer if I wasn't playing Jeskai Dragons. Um, I've played, I have a weird, crappy version of this deck built for Historic on Arena, and I've been amazed at how much work Priest of Forgotten Gods does. You read the card and you think, ah, someone's just going to kill it. But when they don't kill it, <laughs> you tap it, sack two creatures, which creates some kind of drain effect. Any number of target players then lose two life and sacrifice a creature. You add two black and draw a card. That's a lot for one tap. Yeah, you figure Liliana the Veil made them sacrifice a creature as her minus two. Yeah. So and, getting that along with all that other stuff. And this deck just wants to put stuff in the yard, right? Because if their Stitcher Supplier dies, it puts more cards in the yard, which then sets up a bigger return or a bigger rally. Um, hunted Witnesses and stuff like that. And Blister Pods just replace themselves when they die. And your Cruel Celebrants drain them on that occurrence. Fiend Artisan is happy to sack creatures and then go get some of the other pieces. This, this deck looks fun, and it's one of those builds that's only going to keep getting more pieces of the puzzle as time goes on. Yeah, I just checked the rallies. The inventory hasn't moved significantly since we talked about it, but I do uh, do like that card for Pioneer. Like, Fiend Artisan is not a surprise to anybody. Flagged right away as a powerful mythic. Um, but certainly something I'm going to be looking at every couple of weeks for the rest of the summer figuring out an entry point because whether or not it ever gets there in modern, it's certainly going to do work in standard and or pioneer. Yeah. I mean, it, it as a pseudo Tarmogoyf impression in pioneer, it may end up, it may end up working there, but it also just has the pseudo birthing pod part where it goes and gets creatures you need to set up combos or finish games or whatever. And because that scales, it's also got EDH chops. Right. Although, you know, we say this, but it has been (laughs) like Pioneer, I feel like hasn't yet existed in a period where it wasn't under basically undue stress. (laughs) Yep. Really, it's all the formats like for the last like year or two. It's like, okay, well, this isn't really what modern looks like because you know hogak is legal mm-hmm. all right well hogak finally got banned but now it's this you know this isn't really modern because companions are illegal or this or is legal. Oko. And it feels like yeah or oko right and it feels like once upon a time you ne- yeah you never feel like you're in the quote-unquote normal format because there's always something warping it and by the time they get rid of that you have maybe two or three months in order well it's trying to figure out where it's going before it all happens again uh so i wonder if this severe tumultuousness is sort of the you know new normal where they're just they never get a chance to stand still because there's always some hugely impactful card that's just waiting to get banned it's a great point because it can encourage people to check the potentially false logic of you know i've been saying to people get ready for what you know look at the cards that are going to be great when companions are gone sure but <laughs> on what timeline? Because if you get to M21 and they give us a bunch more busted stuff there, and then we get to Zendikar and they give us a bunch more busted stuff there, then some of those cards are just going to be out of luck on power level. 
the obsolescence factor is cr- is getting cranked up here. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no guarantee that your Lilian of the Veil, for instance, is going to come back to the forefront in modern. If and when they and deal that- with Luris. And and if Luris survives in modern, like right now Luris is put, putting up good numbers in modern, but not format shattering numbers. And that could just mean that your Jun decks don't care about Lilian anymore. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the only place she's played. So, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It like it's weird because maybe they just leave that. Maybe they leave Loris and Modern and decide that's fine, and Liliana just disappears. But at the same time, it feels like something becomes really good, and it other cards become immediately important in a way that they were less likely to before. So even though. Liliana has faded from relevance in modern. Goyf is back. Right. Goyf suddenly is like, oh, this is way more popular than it was for the last two years. And, you know, I'm not digging through all the modern results right now, but I'm sure there are other cards that are doing something similar um, and will do something similar when you have these major changes. Like Oko and Once Upon a Time made things relevant in a way that hadn't been before. So, or, or or considerably more relevant than they had been. It's just kind of all over the board. Esper Control is Esper? Let me think about this. Black-White Control? Yeah, Black-White Control was 7th place in the Pioneer Challenge. This is Walking Ballista plus Heliod as the central combo. Uh, and then with a bunch of stuff like Knight of the White, White Orchid and uh, Arcanus Owl and so forth, giving you the necessary pips to turn on your Heliod and attack with it. Uh, and they, of course, are 80 cards running Yorion, so yet another Yorion build. And then the only really interesting like low-to-the-ground build in this top 8 that wasn't mono-red is this uh, like little blue deck. One Narset Parter avails, just the one. One Cloudfin Raptor, two Master of Waves, four Sea Dasher Octopus, the only mutate creature to be seeing significant significant play in Constructive, four Siren Storm Tamer, four Spectral Sailor, four Tempest Jin, three Essence Capture, three Mystical Dispute, four Opt, two Spell Pierce, four Unsubstantiate, four Curious Obsession. This looks a lot like the standard deck that was that um, Autumn Burchett won the Pro Tour with. Uh, once again, checking my memory. Please don't do that. <laughs> I will take your word for that. Uh, boy, was... Master Waves. Haven't seen that in a while. Yeah. And, I mean, a mono blue. Like, <laughs> this is the kind of deck you expect someone to bring to FNM, and then you're like, oh, that's cute. Uh-huh. Apparently, it just rolls out fast enough to get under the other stuff. They also get yeah, to. Re- they also have three mystical dispute main, which is helpful against a lot of the stuff that's going on in Pioneer. Yeah, and would counter. Well, it's good in Niv Mizzet. Good against Yorion, Uro, Niv Mizzet decks, Narsets to fairies, big to fairies, lots of blue spells you got to worry about these days. Yeah, I'm flipping through this. I guess Siren Storm Caller is your only um, curse catcher in this build. It would seem. But even still, certainly seems to get well enough. Man, I can't get over the fact that the Wizards page uses invocations as the uh, display of choice when you mouse over cards. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, 
Essence Captor, Mystical Dispute, uh, you have Arcanoids, all those. What the hell is this thing? Well, like I, it, it, the image pops up, and I have to stop and look back at the list to see what card I'm reading. Yeah, the spell curse. Mm-hmm. And then it's not even that I hate the invocations; it's just that why is this what shows up when I mouse over a card? It's, it's so jarring. They just show the most premium version, I guess, in their estimation. So over I in, thought, Dem- I think it's that was the newest printing. So over uh, in the modern, also one the the challenge at least was also won by a Yorion build. This time it's the Emery. Gilded Goose, Ice Fang, Koalo, Uro, Urza build um, that we've talked about in the past. This is a um, a build that exploits the full brokenness of Arkham's Astrolab to <laughs> be very, very consistent in getting a bunch of different things done. Uh, the combination of Urza and Emery and its interaction with recyclable artifacts, of course, is pretty nasty. Ice Fang, Koalo is just a solid role player and gilded goose is also generating good mana then you got a bunch of control spells i guess abrupt decay has a splash of black here so it's more sultai uh uh, and then they add the extra cards to get up to the yorion and this winning build's also running just a single triome the zagoth but it is running it uh second place was uh primeval titan build mono green uh, four Castle Garenbrig, really liking that spec. Um, I think I'm already out of my regular copies via buy list to CK in the winter, but I think I have all my extended arts still. Uh, so they should be looking pretty good in six to 12 months. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Primeval- Too bad their Reclamation Sage can't be a companion, huh? Yeah. Primeval Titan getting uh, Dried of the Elysian Grove as an upgrade and the Castle Garenbrig seems to have made the Scapeshift decks in a couple of different configurations because they exist in both green and teamer builds that I've seen lately. Um, Powerful enough that they don't need to worry about a companion, one of the few archetypes that doesn't. Third place was something was uh, along similar lines. This is uh, the Dredge build that's been around for a while. Only new thing they've had lately is Creeping Chill out of the Ravnica block last year, and then Ox of Agonis out of Theros Beyond Death. Uh, no, no triumphs to speak of or anything. And then in fourth place, you have a fairly uh, interesting looking Lurus uh, build of load of the ground, 12 Load of the Ground red creatures, Abbot of Carol Keep, Monastery Swift Spear, and Soul Scar Mage. Uh, two Inquisition of Kozlek and two Thoughtseize. Four Cling to Dust. That's the instant uh, black graveyard uh, handling card from Theros Beyond Death. Exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a creature card, you gain three life. Otherwise, you draw a card. And it escapes for three and a black exile five cards. So all of a sudden, this is just essential in the format and you see single anything from one to four copies all over the place in the main and this deck mm-hmm. is also running two fatal push two coligans command two lava dart four lightning bolt four metamorphose four mistress bobble and th- three seal of fire so just tons of cheap spells that are very efficient at what they do powering up these creatures that get better if you cast lots of spells and you're just trying to get it in and under uh, fifth place is was more of a Jund build with the Ren and Sixes, Ice Fang, Quaddle, I guess four color, actually. Um, yeah, I don't know if you can call this Jund. What do you think? Is this a Jund build? Two Ren and Six, four Ice Fang, Quaddle, three Snapcaster Mage. 
One okay. dread, <laughs> already a little off Four track. Four Quaddle and three Stampcaster Mage. I'm pretty sure we left the territory of Jund already. However, but right after that, you get back to a Dreadbore, two Inquisition, and Unearth, Abrupt Decay, Archmage's Charm, Cling to Dust, Cryptic Command, Fatal Push, Force of Negation, Coligan's Command, Mana Leak, Arkham's Astrolab, Engineered Explosives, Mish's Bobble, and Seal of Fire with Lura. So I guess you just call this four-color control, right? Yeah, I mean, whatever. If you're splitting hairs. Or Luris control? I, you would, I would say, you know, it's Simic. It's essentially Simic with a red splash. Because you've got, you know, what's your red? It's two red and six, a dread boar. Uh, Cold against command. One Cold against command, one seal of fire. Like, you're not deep on the red here. You're like five cards. But then again, five cards with red mana and their symbol is more than other decks who are called you know jund and they only have four red cards so it's it's primarily four color in in the land of lurus some of these decks are very legacy reminiscent like doesn't this list feel a little legacy like to you uh the numbers are definitely very distributed much more so than you would tend to see especially in a a modern in a modern jund deck i think if you were to look at historical modern grixis lists uh, the numbers probably look similar to this, but it does have a lot of one, several one ofs that are certainly more likely in legacy than other formats for the most part. Sure. Uh, sixth place is a more classic red white uh, burn list with Lyris. Seventh place was uh, Teamer Scape Shift with Renin Six, Ice Fang Quaddle, Uro, and 80 cards to get the Yorion. Uh, abundant growth showing up in a lot of these lists which is why it's going to show up on the hot movers list this week uh, and then uh, this is where the niv mizzet list comes in in eighth place in the modern challenge now moving over to uh, the modern super qualifier which is a more important tournament than the challenge it was won by uh, aldrazitron no companions to speak of and it was Another Luris list that was in second, pretty similar to what we saw in the challenge, but a little more streamlined. This time they were running for Path to Exile in lieu of some of the blue cards that we saw on that other list. Third place was uh, pretty similar to the one we were just talking about. Uh, The 13 creature, red creatures this time instead of 12, a Dreadhorde Arcanist being the extra and then a very similar instant sorcery and an artifact and enchantment package, Seals of Fire, Mishra's Bobbles, Cling to Dust, Inquisitions and Thoughtseizes and so forth. Uh, not terribly different in fourth, also a Luris list. I mean, there's six, seven, eight, nine, ten different ways to build Luris decks. It's not... Just sort of the problem. Yeah. It's not as dominant as it was in Legacy and Vintage, but it's still looking dubious. Fifth place, however, was an as-foretold teamer build, which we've seen before but haven't seen in quite some time. And this doesn't look much different than stuff we were talking about like 12, 18 months ago. Four Greater Gargadon, four Simeon Spirit Guide, four as-foretold, three Ancestral Vision, four Crashing Footfalls, one Finale of Promise, one four Restore Balance, three Serum Visions, a Braid, electro- four Electro Dominance, two Force of Negation, one Is it Charm, three Lightning Bolt, three Opt, two Spell Snare. Give this guy a round of applause for not playing a single card from 2020 in this list. Is that true? I uh, think it is. Yep. 
Don't don't see a single uh, single card in that list that was printed this year. Well, okay, but wait, how many cards? That's like cheating just a little bit because there feel like there wasn't even that much printed this year. Well, uh, the cards from this year are dominant in almost every other deck we've looked at. Other than companion, though, there's plenty of other cards. Uro, etc. Cling to dust. Wait, Uro. Oh, Uro. Uro was printed in January, my friend. Okay. Seems like okay. a million yeah, years yeah, ago, yeah. I know. Yeah. Jeez. And if you're talking about this year as in Cal- like 365 days, arguably, you know, between all of the various broken things they've printed in the last year, they dominate every format. So, yeah, this is interesting. <laughs> this It feels like this guy was like, you know what? I was really good with As Foretold last year. I haven't played in a year. Let me just fire this up and see how I'm going to do in this super qualifier. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a man who loves his greater Gargadon. Played that card a lot, so I can get behind that. Uh, a little disappointed to see no restore balances here, but uh, I understand you don't want to win too hard. There's four restore balance in it. Main deck. Am I looking at the long... In the super qualifier, fifth place. Oh, I think I clicked... Oh, the... Okay, I clicked on the wrong link. That would be why I got it wrong. All good. So in sixth place, the green-red deck we've seen a bunch of times lately. Um, This is Obosh-driven with Clothis, God of Destiny, being uh, a standout uh, to watch if this uh, deck continues to be good. I don't see Obosh being in any danger of catching a ban, although it could catch Splash Companion damage if it turns out that Wizards decides banning card companions isn't enough. And they're going to just change the rules for companions. Um, curious to see whether this green-red deck is good enough in the format if it doesn't have Obosh to drive it home. That I'm not eager to speculate on. But this is, you know, you've got the season Pyromancers here. So, that, you know, there's some weight to the deck, but I don't know. Playing main deck Blood Moons these days feel like that's as as much as i love to do that probably well keep keep in mind there's a lot more three and four color decks in the format right now yeah yeah i mean uh, arborolf and utopia sprawl i'm a big fan of as well but is this playable without the obosh i don't know obosh is a big deal i i've played it played with this card enough now to see that when you can you know it's in hand they can't make you discard it and it is going to double damage when you get to five mana, <laughs> it's real nice. I mean, lightning bolts doing six for one. Yeah. Gross. Do you even play it on five that much? I don't know what how this deck plays out. I would imagine in this deck, it, it's, it's often uh, before five. Because you've got Arbor Elves and so forth. And Utopia Sprawls. So you're ramping. Well, I guess I wonder how often you play it at five mana versus seven or eight where you can capitalize a little bit better um i mean it makes your lightning bolts better but i guess if you don't have lightning bolts then you can slam it at five mana presuming your other turns did enough what one thing i learned was that it doubles bone crusher giant damage but not the uh adventure part because the adventure has its own casting costs of two so it's not affected by Obosh. Yeah, that's funky. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does mean that your Grim Lava Monsters are tapping to deal four. 
<laughs> that's pretty nasty. You haven't seen Grim, Grim Lava Mancer in the modern format in a while, but I can see how it makes sense if you've got Obosh on deck. You know, I was actually just flipping through one of my binders recently. I dug out my old um, modern binder that I had built before Pioneer existed. And I was like, okay, you know, I have all this stuff in here. Um, it's not going anywhere. It's taking up space in my closet. I'm going to look for stuff that is weirdly expensive to sell it uh, and, and, and hold on to whatever else. But the reason I bring uh, I went looking because I saw Vexing Cheshire was $70. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure if you guys knew that. But uh, I went it's looking. It's a bunch of nonsense, found, but we'll get to that. Right, yeah, yeah. I found um, a Torment Foil Grim Lava Mancer. Oh, nice. And I thought about it, and I kept it in the binder because I was like, uh, "I like your out." I'm like, "I like your outcat, your outlook here," and I feel like Grim Lava Master will float in and out of relevance in any format he's in because one drops are just are good cards. One drops are good cards. Yeah, especially when they tap for four. Yeah, K- Kitchen Finks is also cute here because it's a basically a six-two that gains you two life, and then it dies, and then it comes back as a four. 4-1 that gains you two life. <laughs> mm. uh, Clothis, God of Destiny, in the mid to late game, if you've got it down and you get your Obosh out, uh, starts dealing four damage to each opponent um, if the condition is met on his trigger. So, all sorts of nasty. And the deck's been pretty consistent the last few weeks. Seventh place is, green, is yet another way of leveraging yorion this time it is a 41 creature 80 card green white combo deck i've talked about this deck a few times over the last year about how they just keep getting more combos and it must have been fun for them to go oh we could just run yorion and then we could just squeeze all the combos in so they've got the devoted druids the eternal witnesses heliod kitchen finks Spike Feeders, Viscera Seer, Vizier of Remedies, Walking Ballista, <laughs> Three Quarter Calling, Four Collected Company, for the inevitable Arkham's Astrolab. I- I'm curious about how long Astrolab will survive. Everybody seems to agree this card is busted. It's not flashy yeah. busted, it's just busted, busted. It fixes mana way too easy. Yes, it's one of those cards that's broken to the people who know how to see that type of thing and less so to the people who don't uh in fact they were just talking about this uh i think it was chapin was involved chatting with somebody on twitter and said you know there can be a a brainstorm format and that's legacy and i'm fine with there being an arkham's astrolabe format but pick one it only gets to be one format not multiple yeah because the thing is, you loot for the cost of one mana's worth of tempo, your mana is now fixed because it replaces itself. Yeah. All right. So final eighth place deck is another mono red Luris uh, Barut- Brutinitsky. Keep keep your eye on anything that does not involve companions is still the best looking advice. Yeah, it's. Uh... I, I, yes, I want to say that, like, look for stuff that is good without companions, but as we'll talk about a little later, uh, I'm not clear 
how how this is all going to progress. So let's let's put a uh, cork in that for the moment, and we'll pin. come back to that. Put a little pin in it. Yeah. All right. Pin so top paper movers. Honestly, this there was a lot of movement this week. Um, my interpretation overall is that people are getting bored. <laughs> people are a little less fearful. They feel like places are going to start to. A lot of places have started opening up to one extent or another. Um, people are getting excited for summer. The boredom has set in. And there are people out there with money who are looking at the potential ramp up of interest in the game and see dollar signs if they go after stuff that buy lists have been trouble having trouble uh, replacing, that vendors are still selling, even in COVID times, faster than they can replenish them. There were dozens and dozens of cards on the move this week in paper. Um, this is just a selection of seemingly relevant things. So starting from the bottom, Sliver Queen out of Stronghold, reserve list card. We saw it spike last year on the news that Slivers were in Modern Horizons, sold a bunch then close to in between 180 and 200. It's then slid right back down when Slivers just weren't that big a deal and people didn't get all that excited about it. And now we see it pushing up again. This is the kind of card that's going to yo-yo repeatedly and ratchet up slowly over time so this is 125 to 160 in theory for almost 30 percent gain maelstrom wanderer foils were one of your picks last week i believe uh and here we have the eternal masters non-foil copies going from 14 to 20 uh suggesting that you're thinking that this card was uh, a solid target was not uh ill-founded 42 percent gains or so Zakama, Primal Calamity, is one of the only mythics that matters out of rivals uh, over Ixalan. Uh, going from 30 to 45, when you have those sets with real uh, low average EV of any given rare or mythic, it tends to concentrate in whatever the most popular cards are. And uh, I have a feeling that in a lot of the cases of the EDH staples we're going to be talking about today, there's been some speculator vendor targeting going on trying to leverage the current scenario but there's still an undercurrent of real demand behind most of these cards we'll be talking about that led the vendors and speculators to them in the first place so something like a Zakama was only a matter of time i agree yes um overall you know the the sliver queens i can see poking their heads up towards 200 eventually honestly um being the preeminent sliver um well and more importantly the reserve list liver right though well, yes yeah, yeah yeah that's the the angle here um i like sliver yeah I, honestly even if i had silver i do have silver queens and i wouldn't i'm not necessarily in a rush to sell them because i think there's still meat on the bone on that um and it, it, another uh angle here on this top paper movers is that i mentioned earlier i went through my uh, modern binder and was pulling cards out to sell and a lot of the cards that I listed were competitive. Um, they were cards like, well, like uh, Vaccine Shusher and Dark Slick Shores and all those types of cards. Um, cards that you play because you want to win games of Magic, right? They're not casual cards. They were competitive. And all of them sold in singles. Like I had a ton of sales this week and all of them, n none of them sold in play sets. <laughs> they were selling one at a time. Even my, and yes, I'm complaining about it because it's annoying to sell them that way. But like even my foil dark slick shores sold as a singles. And I'm like, I, 
okay, so that means that the people who want these things are buying them for a commander. Uh, that's definitely the driving way more sales at the moment than any of these constructed formats are, even when the cards are constructed cards. Sure. I mean, there's some overlap in the Venn diagrams for you know some of the cards you're mentioning, but sure. The... Well, of course. I mean, there has to be for people to be buying them, but I'm just saying the cards that I listed were primarily constructed staples and yet were being sold for those types of players. Hot tip for the listeners, since I, I have found that many of us in the MTG finance scene tend to be on one of TCG or eBay and not all that often both. Um, certainly advantage eBay when you want to sell four at a time because you can just create a list, a custom listing for the four of them. And I actually frequently do both. I, I will list, if I have a, a, place, a couple of play sets of something I want to sell, I'll sell it as uh, single copies with an inventory of four and then set up a play set, which is an inventory of one for the play set and often see sales on both listings. Hmm. Uh, next on the list, you mentioned that before. Next on the list, we have consecrated sphinx out of um, <laughs> constipated sphinx <laughs> out of Mirrodin. No, out of Mirrodin besieged. The original printing. Yes. Yeah, that sounds right. Yep. Uh, Uber staple in EDH going from twenty-one to thirty-five. Same thing as so many of the cards in this combination of targeting and natural drain. Worldly Tutor was, in theory, pushed up to some ridiculous number that I won't even repeat here because it's silly. Um, but six edition <laughs> copies going from 34 to 60 seems about right. It's probably a 50 or $60 card as of right now. Um, on the basis that it just hasn't caught a reprint in, in a long, long time. It was a Mirage Rare, which is like the first five years of Magic. Then it was printed in sixth edition, which is the first 10 years of Magic. And we haven't seen it more or less since, right? Yeah, it, uh, yes, because unlike Enlightened Tutor and Mystical Tutor, it did not get reprinted in Eternal Masters, which is somewhere between one month and 12 years old. I'm never sure. Uh, I do think Worldly Tutor, I think of all the cards we talk about having a target on their head for the green commander product this soon, right? God, it hasn't been announced yet. Very soon. Yeah, this summer. Uh, this is this is high on my list. I think this is exactly the type of card they would go after, especially because at the time of designing that product, this wasn't a forty or fifty dollar card. It was like eighteen, and I know it was eighteen because I bought like I don't know twenty, twenty five, thirty of these things at like fifteen bucks on sale from CSI or somewhere, and then ended up buy listing them for I don't know like five or six bucks profit each. Like three months ago, and now I would have made like thirty dollars each. Maybe if you could actually exit them, you certainly can't get out to buy list that way on them. And as you said, it does have a chance in that commander product. It seems like it would be a solid fit there, especially since they would have made that decision before this price pump. Um, but there was early a sneak peek for that set where it seemed like Court of Calling was probably in there. So it's questionable as to how many green tutors, creature tutors, they will put in the set together. That's fair. If if they, I, I mean, I don't recall that uh, spoiler. If that's the case, then I agree that it's... They didn't reveal that it was Cord. They showed art that seemed to everybody like it was probably for Cord. Okay. It was like for, of Yison strumming his harp or something and a bunch of creatures around him. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Now I'm remembering that. 
that could be, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd, yeah, okay, so Core to Calling and he's playing chords. Yeah, all right. I would say that could be like Fawn or Shaman or a couple other cards. It could. People people had a few ideas at the time. And, yeah. I, and I don't think it's crazy that in eight green cards, two of them would go get creatures. That's possible. Yeah. A little less likely. But the, the bottom line is there's no replenishment available for this because if you if you bring in bulk from your average magic player, they haven't been playing long enough to have any sixth edition or mirage bulk. No. So the average collection that's going to come into a shop can't replenish this card even in the best of times. And if when EDH players get their hands on it, why would they ever sell it? It fits in every single green deck. Yes. Yeah, this is not a card that they're going to be eager to get rid of. Yeah, I mean, it just he searches your library for a creature and puts it in your hand. It doesn't get any better than that for a single green mana. It's I, I, I hate the card in EDH. I don't think it's good EDH, but I understand why people play it. Sure. Uh... As per usual, when stuff like this gets targeted, there are some cheap-ish copies over in Europe for people to take a look at if you get to them fast enough. Um, next on the list, Vexing Shusher, supposedly going from 15 to 27. On on what basis does this card deserve to be pumping right here? I see no, I I see no evidence that it's getting played anywhere of any consequence. Somebody in our Discord piped up with CEDH, which to me is the biggest red flag going in MTG Finance right now. Yeah, and I mentioned last week that individual pointed out to me that everything that we weren't sure about was supposedly CDH. So I don't have an answer that that's wrong. I believe that those moved with the intent of CDH behind them. I am dubious that it can actually move or hold any of the prices. Or should I should say I, I'm dubious to any of the prices are really that real or there's enough demand out of the format to keep those numbers sticky. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sell my vaccine shushers for my vaccine shusher foils for $70, but I am sure willing to find out. And and that's what matters. Like people have to prove the play. If you're out there and you made the vaccine shusher play, prove it to us by demonstrating that you sold a bunch of your inventory and not just a single copy. If you bought 30, show me that you're showing you're selling them steadily enough that you can justify holding 30 of them. Hmm. There's one of our, uh, <clears throat> an individual whose name is frequently mentioned on this podcast is griping. Uh, as of 30 minutes ago, 25 minutes ago about worldly tutors, because TCG player is showing a price of $125. Now we know that these are not $125 cards, but uh, it's got a lot of viewers seeing this card be expensive and him complain about it. People need to stop reacting to the prices for cards on indexes without fact checking them. Because yeah. most indexes do not use TCG Market, the r- rough average of the prices the card has actually sold for. They're using the blended near near mint or near mint plus SP average price or something to that effect. And that doesn't get you where you want to be. And yeah. And people are listing these ridiculous prices for things to try to make sure they show up on these lists. So if you see it at the top of the list, that's your biggest red flag that you should be second guessing it. Well, especially if you see 
oh look the price is 125 dollars but oh i can find one for 40 i should buy the 40 dollar one like well that guy just got to sell one for 40 dollars yeah and <laughs> yeah because you thought you were getting a deal yeah liz had a had a very educated and uh even-handed response but and and one of the angles here being that like the pandemic has put a real crunch on the vendors who would handle the logistics of doing all of the buy listing and reselling of these cards and it's not really happening anymore well yeah um, that's, that's exactly what's makes, driving this yeah this- you know if you take all of the vendors out of the marketplace suddenly you know vendors were essentially the lowest friction point for moving magic card inventory from individuals to the individuals who need them. And if you remove vendors because of the um, quarantine, suddenly you're now just doing player to player and you've lost that vendor middleman uh, and your friction goes up considerably because no one has a wealth of copies coming in the door such that they have a large supply enough to sell them. People are selling one and two at a time. They're going to be a lot more willing to be greedy has a lot of impacts here. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is that the vendors who have laughed at speculation for years on the basis that they get to sit back and collect their comfy margin between buy list and retail are now in a position where they don't have a mechanism in place to acquire cards. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I actually wonder how many vendor buyers are out there acquiring singles just by buying them from the same platforms we do right now. Uh, I mean, I don't know, you know, is a car, is a store like CSI or Star City or whomever going to be bothering to buy singles? It feels like well, the we, number... We, we, know, we know for a fact that big vendors buy singles from Japan, oh, yeah, Europe, ben... et cetera. But do, are they buying them from their compatriots? Are they buying them off TCG at listed price? Like, did, did Star City buy 10 copies of Worldly Tutor because they just had zero and they can get plus 10 or $15 more they figure than what they were listed at? Uh, it's, I mean, all these are good questions. I know that in the past, Ben Blyweiss has bought cards from me uh, on TCG Player, which always feels bad. Um, <laughs> you feel, feel I, like he, he won that one, do you? Right. Like if Star City is buying cards from you, uh, you're, you they knew something you didn't, right? Um, but... You know, that's not that, that might be true of individual cards, right? Like they have zero, I think it was Jace Architect of Thought. They wanted, you know, a couple to put in the store. So he went, spent an hour and just bought a ton of copies. That's possible. Is Star City going to use TCG Player as the means, their primary means of handling restocking um, in the midst of all of this? That seems unlikely because that is a huge amount of product that they now have to be getting through their doors. And and ultimately, um, it really depends. Just trying to get a couple copies of one card. Well, ultimately, it depends what kind of cards you're talking about. Because if you're talking about Ikoria product, of course not. They're not going to go and buy Ikoria singles at retail because they can just crack sealed product to get access to that if they want to. Um, and But they might buy some cheaply listed Godzilla foil um special cards from Europe where they're super underpriced this week. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um they might buy masterpieces, inventions when you and I were buying them, they were probably buying alongside us out of Europe. Uh and they might buy a worldly tutor just because it's the kind of card that they, it's really hard to come by anywhere else. 
I, I agree with all of that. There, these types of small, specific cards are the types of things I could see them go after. It's more like old Be- cards, right? Like the older the card and the, the, the longer it's been since the last printing, the more likely it's- it will be necessary to acquire at retail if buy less or shut down. My, my greater point is that you can't, there's no way vendors could sustain their business strictly on buying cards off of TCG player. It's a small supplement on otherwise hard to find cards or hard to hard to stock cards, but there's no way that they can do just that in the face of quarantine. And just like, it's not going to be sufficient inventory to manage. Well, you can't, it's going to be, can you imagine how many orders from TCG star city would be getting in the door if they were trying (laughs) to like keep up with their normal throughput here? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say that if you take a look at if a, if a talented buyer with a targeted list goes after TCG player for an hour and you compare that to the amount of time that person would take on the floor of a GP to process that many cards in a collection. I'm not sure how that, how that plays out in this specific scenario, very unique to COVID. Um, Because most, most of the time, the reason they wouldn't be buying individual singles on TCG is more about the, that they have sufficient quantity from their buy list procedures. They don't need to pay retail anywhere. But if they start, if we see more and more of what we are seeing right now, and it's been building for weeks, where high volume staples and super staples are draining out. You know, your worldly tutor was not destined for a spike under normal circumstances, but would have been on an upward trajectory anyway. The longer it stays out of print, the higher it's going to go. We see this over and over and over again. If you leave something alone for years, it will become expensive. Um, but in current circumstances, it's under additional pressure than plus whatever amount of targeting you want to attribute to the situation. That's the kind of scenario where it suddenly becomes relevant for them to pay attention to the gap between what they think they can sell it for in two or three or four weeks and what they could scoop off the bottom end of the TCG market. Because you still have some people listing stuff on TCG player and eBay that are just desperate, right? That are just are willing to undercut things by a few bucks to get some cash in the door. Because, you know, there, there's definitely a widening gap of haves and have-nots. The people in the in society who have never had any salary interruption here are on one trajectory with their personal finances, and the people that have been out of work are in a completely different trajectory. And as that continues, you can expect to see more value, tra- like, uh, value transfer go on between those two segments. You are uh, inviting a podcast discussion I don't think you want to have here because <laughs> I will eat the rest of this podcast with this. All right, so let's, um, let's move on through this list. Flawless Maneuver is one of the key free cards out of Commander 2020. If you control a commander, you can cast a spell with a paying its mana cost. Creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn. Um, because a large portion of the Commander 2020 inventory did not ship on time, meaning that there are less of these decks in the market right now than there should be, um, you're seeing the key cards from this pop pretty much right away. Now, are they going to fade again later this summer when those decks finally make an appearance? Yes. But will they, you know, this card went from 10 to 18 this week for an 80% gain. If it gets up to 24 before it catches more copies in the market, and then that knocks it back, is it going to knock it to 10 or is it going to knock it to 16 or 20? That remains to be seen. Um, But I I think I'm a seller of this stuff in this scenario. 
but I wouldn't be in a rush to do it, say, right away this week. I might be looking to sell the card in two weeks or four weeks before additional inventory hits, but after uh, the the product, ha- the cards have drained out of the market a little further. I, these commander cards, these you know, these standalone commander cards have had some pretty good returns a year or two down the line. And if it's showing gains already, I might be inclined to hold off on selling here. I mean, you know, I'm never going to complain about selling for a profit, but at the same time, I could definitely see holding on to this and trying to ride the wave longer. A lot of our members basically just bought, you know, full sets of Commander 20, all five decks or whatever, uh, months early, two or three months early. And got in one, two, three, four, five sets. And I think the smartest play here, as per usual, is just flip them fast. Into, well, not as per usual, specific to this circumstance, because there's lesser inventory than there should have been, you get to flip them fast. So people are reporting that you can flip a full play set for, I mean, a full set of the decks for plus 50, plus 60, plus $70 on social media or whatever, um, and be in real solid position. You can also crack them and keep the stuff you want and sell off some of the more expensive pieces to cover most of the cost. You know, you do you based on your what your needs are. Yeah, it depends, yeah, it depends on how you want to approach it. I mean, if you can flip the set for $60, um, I mean, that's, that's very low effort, most likely, compared to cracking and and selling the singles and shipping the singles and then having all those cards left over and you're not sure what to do with them which is a legitimate annoyance uh i cracked all those theros collectors boosters and suddenly had a huge stack of theros various theros cards that weren't really worth anything i'm like where the hell do i want to put these um but yeah if you end up with the singles i think that a lot of these individual commander cards tend to have pretty good outlooks especially if they've proven to be popular out of the gate um the ones that are popular out of the gate are popular for a reason and stay popular it would seem next on the list we've got rico of two reflections uh out of original commander so the oldest commander set this is 2013 i believe uh as a commander something like 13 or 1400 decks reported on edh rec as a card and other decks only like 600 so not a really big deal card um, but in theory pumped from 20 to 40 this week on the back of been a while <laughs> and people are targeting edh cards i i mean refer to my anecdotal evidence which is worth exactly that much that you know, I listed a bunch of constructed staples, and people bought them one at a time. Clearly for EDH, so I, I people have taken to playing Commander on uh, Skype, etc. Yeah, yeah, you know. And now, do I think that there is a massive amount of Magic players who have taken to playing digital Commander and need staples for that? No, I don't. I think that that's probably very few and far between. But I think that when you're stuck inside and jonesing and really into magic, buying constructed cards is probably not the direction you're going to go right now. But you don't feel bad buying EDH stuff because, you know, yeah, like, oh, I've always wanted to make a Riku deck and I've got time right now. So I'm going to start poking around and putting that together and buying stuff for it. And even... Maybe I'll play a Skype version, a Skype game with it. Maybe I won't, but I'll have the deck. I'll have the cards and then I'll be ready when this is all over. Why would I build a Lura stack? I have nowhere to play it. I have no idea when I'm going to be able to play it. 
and it could easily be banned by the time we get there. Uh, so I, I can understand why all this commander stuff would move considerably more. Also know that we've seen the, I feel like we've seen the list of paper movers shift a lot harder in the last like one to three weeks than we did a month and a half ago, which lines up roughly when, with when those, uh, stimulus checks started hitting. Yeah. I mean, stimulus checks certainly have, have an impact, especially if your household was in strong financial position already and you still somehow managed to get them. Um, Primordial Hydra next on the list out of M12 foils from 13 to 26. That's going to be Zaxara driving that. Uh, the Great Henge out of El- Throne of Eldraine foils. This is just regular pack foils of this mythic going from 20 to 48. Boy, does that make me feel good about my Japanese foil Great Henges that I'm sure I will sell for who knows, 180 to 200. I that's that's pretty nice. That is real nice. I think I have some of these. I know that I went looking for foil Great Hen- uh, extended art foil henges multiple times. Uh, I don't know if I ever found any or not. I know I found a bunch of extended art foil Okos. <sighs> I I keep in mind that <laughs> as long as this year seems, Eldraine was just last October. We're only like eight months out from the first extended arts. And if stuff like Great Henge is already paying off, it is a very good indicator. And keep in mind, this is just the regular copy going to 50. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that it hasn't has been less than a year since extended art foils were released. And uh, three months of people basically not being able to play those cards in real life. Yeah, so taking a look over at the Great Henge extended art situation, you've got foils ranging from 93 to 157 total listings, seven total near mint copies left on TCG. Hmm. Pretty good. And if you add Japanese into the mix, the there are actually two foil Japanese copies currently sitting. No, three foil Japanese copies currently sitting on TCG Player at eighty bucks. That's got to be wrong. Uh, when these were, you know, if the foils for the English ones were twenty, that seemed right. If they're fifty to sixty, then I agree that's less right. No, but this is the foil extended art Japanese. Oh, the rare, I missed that. The rarest the, of the rare for 80 bucks. The Japanese foil extended art Great Henges for 80 bucks. Yep. Oh, yeah, that can't be right. And there's four. There's those three listed at 80, and there's one listed at 115. My interpretation of those three listed at 80, given the number of sales, they're both from big stores, is that they've been sitting on them for a few months, and it didn't go anywhere, and they dropped the price because they want cash flow. But I'd be more, yeah. this is like one of these differing utility situations where I'm more than happy to sit on that for a year if I can get that at 80 and sell it at 120 later. Yeah, I, yeah, that's definitely a solid place to park some of your money if you have, you know, if, if, if you somehow have money burning a hole in your pocket and it needs to be spent on magic, uh, that's definitely a way to look. Cause I remember the English extended art foils were sitting at, I think 100 to 120 when I was trying to buy them before. So that's that's tempting. So Simic Growth Chamber Foils, original from Dissension, 9 to 22. On the back of in 
uh, continuing primeval titan, uh, not dominance, but presence in the modern meta. Kind of seems like almost no matter what happens, you can build a primeval titan deck and have it do some work. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You also see the this this cycle of lands show up in EDH on a uh, not infrequent basis. There are 26,000 uh, reported usages of Simic Growth Chamber shows up in 30% of possible decks. So between EDH and Modern, uh, not terribly surprised to see, even though this is a foil common, uh, not terribly surprised to see the original printing start to gain some additional momentum. Fr- fr- frankly, I'm just I'm surprised that Dissension Foil is only just now twenty, um, and, and I, I shouldn't say surprised in that I I didn't know it was that cheap. I know that I've looked these up a couple times and been like, that's it, that's all they're worth. But I guess you know, especially with the Modern Master Foil printing, it took some of the oomph out of them. Yeah, they've always seemed underpriced to me. And Primeval Titan has waxed and waned over the years, so I mean. Well, the EDH demand has probably been fairly consistent, but the modern demand has come and gone. I don't know how many. If you're building a blue-green EDH deck, it it should probably have some growth chamber in it. Sure. Uh, Astral Slide out of Onslaught. Non-foils going from two to six. That's almost certainly on the back of the Jeskai cycling deck that just got released. Now, these next two are interesting because this has been an ongoing point of debate in our Discord. We got two-partner commanders ludovic necro alchemist and rayhan last of the abzan uh both going from five to 15 or so so 200 percent gains almost certainly targeted now we don't have any intel on why these would be targeted i haven't been chasing partners so but it leads me it has led people in our discord to wonder aloud whether the intel that people think they have or do have is that Commander Legends will include a whole bunch of partners. Now, that's not a crazy well, theory, because Commander Legends is going to have something like 70, 80, 90 new commanders, and giving us a package of, say, 10 to 15 partners seems to work in that context. I, I, I'm i with you. We, we I don't have any information either. I saw, I noticed that a bunch of these had moved. There was that blue-green merfolk from a little while ago that we talked about. I'm not and that, and that's just a good card, so just, Thrasios. Yes, Thrasios. There's also uh, Tim, not Timurat. Timra. Uh, Timra, the black-white one. Also a good card, um, so they, they moved yeah. first. Sure, and, and, and I figured that it was a maybe a CDH thing. Um, Timna, Timna the Weaver. Like... Timna, Timna the Weaver. Yeah, 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 I could see the art in my head. I play her with uh, Sedar Kondo. It's a fun little deck. But um, I-, I had pegged these as CDH because I couldn't possibly figure out where else it would be coming from. But now that you say that pe- it's people having insight into partner being in this set, whether the intel is right or not, these seem these make sense as cards to to spec on if you think that that's what's going to happen. It, the timing is also correct. We saw a partner four years ago now, four or five years ago. It was Commander 2016. We haven't gotten any more since then. And one of the nice things about partner is that uh, the nature of the card is that as you add cards to that pool, the number of combinations increases significantly. 
So if we've, I don't even, I don't have the numbers in front of me. If we've got, say, 20 partner cards, uh, oh God, I'm going to try and do the math in my head and this is not going to work. If you have four partner cards, there's something like seven or eight combinations or 10 combinations you can make with those four cards. But if you have eight partner cards, it jumps to like 30 or 40. Like doubling the number of cards with partner on them, I think like exponentially increases the number of possible combinations. In other words, Wizards gets a lot of work out of adding a couple new partners. And that does seem like a good place to make them, especially if you're building as a draftable set, because now you can take two partners and then try and build your deck around that partner combination, which is kind of a cool like draft angle. I like the idea. And frankly, I of all the ways to to spec on something, I've, I've heard worse. From my perspective, it's still mostly conjecture. So whether you believe the CEDH argument, which was what was advanced when Thrasios and uh, the Weaver were targeted, that they were good at CEDH. Um, I don't follow how that makes all the other partners worth targeting on that basis. So it's hard to say whether it's CEDH follow-on where they just figure they can corner all the partners because it's they think it's working so far. One of the things that tends to happen is if somebody goes after a card, drains it out, picks up 20 copies or something, and that brings it down from, say, 20 listings to five, and then they manage to sell one at a pumped price, they just, without waiting to sell the second, third, or fourth, I see people go in full hog on whatever else is related. Sometimes it works. A lot of the time it doesn't. I'm not going to go buy out and buy a bunch of partners until I see some some facts <laughs> or at least a substantiated rumor to dr- drive this because guessing what's in Commander Legends is is easily could easily turn out to be a fool's errand and the CEDH thing is just a bunch of nonsense to me so far. Um, it's worth pointing out that there are actually extra partners since C16. There was partners in Battle Bond, but those partners only partner specifically with each other. Yeah, that, that, so that doesn't even count then. Ah, but it, it it's worth considering because it at the time they made it sound like partners with something specific might be how they would handle partners moving forward. Like they will give us partners in Commander Legends, but they partner only with each other, just like they did in Battle Bond. That's not going to help any of your earlier partner specs. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think. Well, the, the nice thing about partner was it gave them some flexibility. You could have it partner with a specific card in order to create sort of a thematic connection. And you could also just have it as a general partner card, which gives the card considerably more strength because it's so much more flexible, of course. Um, and I, I say that I don't really count those as partner cards because they don't mesh with the pool of existing partners. In, in any case, I think that you know, if you go in on any of these partner cards purely as speculation, you could end up with a lot of these things just sitting around doing absolutely nothing. Because if they weren't all that popular beforehand, now you've got a lot of them and they're just not moving. Um, and there wasn't enough demand there to begin with. But if you have any actual information, that this is what's going on, it could work out in your favor. And honestly, if I, I, I didn't buy any partners, I don't have any extra partners, uh, maybe like two that I bought back when all this crap came out, but I haven't bought anything recently. But if I found out that there were partners, I would 
in uh, this year's set, I would be going after some of the old ones. I don't know if I'd be going after these exact ones, but I know I'd be looking at it. Just bringing up Rayhan, Last of the Abzan. Is this even a partner card? No. Yeah, yeah, it is. I always miss the last line of text on Rayhan. When I look at Rayhan, I don't even think about her as a partner. It doesn't. It's basically irrelevant to me because the rest of the text is so good for my purposes with Atraxa. Um, mm. But yeah, bottom line: if you're out there and you're you're holding the knowledge that partners are going to be relevant, then you're well ahead of the curve. If you don't have that knowledge, yeah. you're probably making a mistake. Good, good job. I mean, yeah, not that there's uh, any sort of pat yourself on the back if you met, if you're buying partners in advance of knowing that our partners are coming. That wasn't clever, but whatever. You don't need. You could be clever somewhere else. Make your money here. It's one of the funny things about when I do have advanced knowledge is that people seem to think that that we think that makes us cooler or something. On the contrary, it's way less cool if you just knew something was going to happen. Like you want to be prognosticating, not knowing. <laughs> getting getting it right when you didn't have advanced knowledge is cool being just told is is easy that's easy ball that's silly yeah that i mean that's for making the money i want you know if i want to feel cool about myself and tell other people about how smart i are I, I am i would start a podcast or something all right so let's try to finish up this list here we got freed from the real m25 foils going from nine to 30 there's no way 30 is a real price in that nobody's buying freed from the real foils for 30 dollars. but zaxar is what drives that because it's one of the other enchantments uh that she creates infinite mana with last week we talked about Pemenzora, which basically does the same thing counterbalance has been seeing some additional play lately uh cold snap copies went from 11 to 40 in theory uh i don't think that's a real price either in paper because while the card has been seeing significant play in digital who knows if counterbalance decks will still be a thing in relevant formats by the time we get back to paper not something i want to be betting on well this was reprinted wasn't it it was only an invocation uh you know i'll give it the 40 dollar pack foil i'll give it no, because no, not, even if not foil is... not foil regular oh uh never mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's regular never 40 dollars I guess I, I was kind of looking at this and I, as I was looking at the 11 to 40, I'm like, I think the foils would be that cheap. I'm just illiterate tonight. I don't know what do you want from me. You're, you're not the only one who would have. I, if you'd asked me, though, before this, is there another printing of counterbalance that wasn't a masterpiece? I would have said yes. I would have guessed. Yeah, I thought it was I, an I, EMA or something. Yeah, or M25 or something. I would have guessed that we had seen this, but we haven't. Foils are 60 bucks. Uh, an original pack foil counterbalance at 60 is probably more appealing than regulars at 40 because there's the original foil cold snap. Cold snap foils are relatively hard to come by. It's old enough set. Um, finishing up complicate uh, non foils from 60 cents to 350 uh, and foils pushing 20 bucks also on the back of the Jeskai cycling deck, I would imagine. And then Abundant Growth, which we saw showing up in those Scape Shift and uh, uh, every Yorion deck. And yeah, the Ur Urza Uro <laughs> lists run it as well. And foils going from EMA foils going from a dollar to 30 in theory for 2,900%. Mm. If you sell a $30 foil Abundant Growth, please do brag to me so that I can. Uh, recognize your accomplishment. I would guess realistic numbers on this is somewhere between eight and twelve dollars. I do have at least one. 
I think I have, I feel like I have at least a play set of these. I opened up EMA, so I I might probably have to go swipe through some stacks. The funny thing about a lot of this this pushing on staples nonsense is that a bunch of us are just going to make incidental money here, not from being smart or, or ahead of the curve, just because we happen to own inventory. Oh yeah, well that's at this point in time the easiest way to make money is don't be smart, just be early. Uh, ooh, just there is there is. One guy with Avison restored abundant growths, which is the one I have, and he's got a listed at fifty dollars for the foils. I have got to go dig mine out. I'm not going to try and get fifty for it. No, nope, nope. I'll be reasonable. I'm going to ask for forty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it at twenty-four dollars and and get it sold. My oh, wait, what what number did I have to say? Did you say I had to sell this at? Uh, 30 I, all right i'm put i'm putting it at 30 dollars to see if i can pull it I, off i i would probably put it at if lowest price on ebay was 40 i would probably put it at like 28.88 or something to it's yeah. a foil common folks um and if it didn't sell almost right away and oh you know what i would do i would put it at that price make sure it was the lowest and then just leave the offers thing open all the way down to ten dollars and just see what came in because the, the only relevant way to gauge the market is let the market tell you what it's worth. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if you're the only person in the world who's got them listed for sale, then you can kind of push your luck a little bit. But if the if you're not, you got to be a little more realistic about it. So moving on to our top Magic Online movers of the week, I have to issue an apology first for last week. It uh, Oko slapped me upside the head after the he heard the cast and pointed out that I probably only listed standard cards that moved hard last week. Now, it was an easy mistake to make because it was the bulk of the hot movers last week on Magic Online, but I did triple check to make sure I got it right this week. So we include uh, modern legacy and EDH relevant things here, uh, as we should be. Collective Brutality out of Eldritch Moon going from 12 to 17 or so, about 40%. Uh, modern Luris decks running the card. Oko Thief of Crowns out of Eldraine going from 1550 or so to 2150 for about 40% gains. That's probably predicated on post-Luris legacy play on the back of the banning announcement. Um, there'll be more Oko decks in legacy. Uh, Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger out of Battle for Zendikar from 7 to 975 for about 40% gains. Tron play continues, uh, and there's probably some EDH demand as well driving that. Thought Not Seer, keep in mind that Eldrazi Tron won the Super Qualifier on the weekend, so Thought Not Seer going from 8 to 1175 is not tremendously surprising. Nice 40% pump there. If I was holding those, I'd probably be looking to sell and take advantage. Leovold, Emissary of Trest out of uh, Conspiracy. Um... Moving from 430 to 680, so 58% gains. Probably also post Luris Legacy play. Keep in mind that Leovold is banned in EDH. Trinisphere, the Masterpiece series version, going from 675 to 11. Uh, that's on the back of Modern Tron uh, and Anti Luris play, I would imagine, because Trinisphere makes everything cost three. So anybody who's all these decks that are trying to leverage one and two casting cost stuff over and, and do it over and over again suddenly have to pay three for everything and that really uh interferes with their game plan clever and person I, I would love it if trinosphere becomes relevant that's so good <laughs> clever impersonator out of ktk going from 380 to 640 um this has been up and down a little bit on the back of gyruda decks kind of memeing hard at first and then fading and then and showing up in the top eight again this week in pioneer i believe it was um estrogen 
Estrid's invocation was the top mover out of C18. Keep in mind that the commander decks don't actually come out on Magic Online. They just show up, the relevant cards that are specific to those decks show up in the treasure chests eventually. So Estrid's invocation is only is only a treasure chest card going from four to seven, probably on the back of EDH play because there's nothing else that makes any sense to drive it. Uh, no, I couldn't imagine what that would be. I, I, yeah. All right. So moving on to the top of the week, the biggest news uh, this week by far was that they banned Luris in Vintage after you thought that that would not happen. You had very good reasons, uh, primarily the fact that they've never done it. <laughs> It's been yeah. a long time since they banned a card in Vintage on power level. The, and the answer to my question, by the way, and I'm not taking credit for this because I read it on Twitter too, but I'm hoping you didn't. Do you know what the one card is? It was is not the last card banned in Vintage was. Do you know what it was? Nope. It is Mind Twist in 1996. Right. And, uh, and, and it's debatable so, whether that makes sense, right? And, and I would make the argument that vintage in 1996 is not vintage sure it was uh yeah it, that type was two one. years after magic came that out. was type one yeah so re- vintage as you as we know it has never had a card banned before and they banned Luris, which is insane um i can see i i, I mean maybe they yeah Maybe they decide, okay, well, we're banning Luris because it's messing things up right now, and we don't have another tool, so we're going to ban it, and then we're going to come back after we've had some time to figure out how we want to deal with this everywhere else, and then adjust this. Like, do they erot a companion and then make Luris legal again? Do they go with another solution? Um, But maybe it's just a, we're going to ban them for now while we figure out what to do, and then we'll come back and unban them once we have a better idea of how we want to address this everywhere else and then make our decision in vintage at that point in time still pretty wild to see a card banned in vintage and i was i'm i don't know i I, i'm a little disappointed that wizards went this route and a little more surprised that i didn't hear more discussion of what i would consider to be very remarkable event on twitter but it is what it is yeah so luris banned in vintage so that hopefully fixes their problems for the time being. In Legacy, they didn't stop at Luris. They banned Zerda too on the back of... Presumably, they saw a ton of... Keep in mind that all of these bannings are almost certainly predicated on very solid statistical analysis of what these cards were doing to formats on Magic Online because it's the only data they've got to work with right now. So Zerda the Dawn Waker must have been doing a lot of work with Grim Monolith. <laughs> and basalt monolith and doing nasty nasty things uh the combo of course being that zerda makes it so the monoliths create infinite mana since they tap for more than it would there thereby cost to untap them tap for three untap for two makes infinite um and there are a bunch of different things you can do i don't know if they were dark depthsing or what i have no idea what the kill the kill conditions were in those decks yeah, it doesn't really matter. It, it's this is telling clearly that you know the older you get, the more ridiculous Luris gets. Um, we haven't seen modern women's in Luris, you know, go the way of the dinosaurs in modern yet, which would be the next oldest format. Um, it was just vintage and legacy, but I could see modern being on the watch list. But 
the I think the greater context here is just that if it's you know the as as Luris becomes less relevant, Yorion becomes more relevant, right? Like you know, Vintage is a hundred percent Luris and like no Yorion, and Standard is basically a hundred percent Yorion and very little Luris, and then they kind of mix somewhere in the middle. But the you know the results that you posted in the Discord were that. Yorion was five out of the top eight in standard, five out of the top eight in pioneer, a quarter of the top eight in modern. Um, and there you go. It's huge in standard, still significant in pioneer and, and medium and modern. But it's just the mechanic in general is just still taking over every format right now. I, I, and I think I think my money at this point is on the next move as pertains to c- companions being a change in their rules. We, we talked about it as ahead of this banning as would they just do that instead. Them banning Luris in Vintage and Legacy is kind of a non sequitur for most Magic players. Like it just doesn't really matter because most Magic players don't play these formats. So in reality, companions are out there causing as much trouble for the average Magic player as they already were this week versus last. They're still building up the data. It's And... The accusation that has been levied in our Discord at Wizards and on Twitter as well by other people um, is pretty simple. They they don't want to ban thing more things while they're still trying to sell those things. This set is technically six weeks old, but just came out in North America last week. They'd really like to mine that sales curve as hard as they can before they tell people which cards they can't play with. <laughs> So I would guess two to four weeks and then we'll see some more action. Could be a bit longer, but they can't wait too long because Magic Online is a revenue stream they can't afford to give up right now. And people are going to walk away from formats that are super stilted and boring and warped around a mechanic that they most people just hate. I, I Yeah, this is if you're wizards and you're trying to... A, I mean, you're trying to sell magic cards, so banning a bunch of the cards that draw people to your newest set while they're still, before, like, basically before the set's on the shelves is not not great for you. Uh, it's also the, a scenario where errata in the rules on the mechanic is a considerably more um weighty decision than just banning the card right like it's easy to say uh, this card's banned in these formats we're done like you know with oko um that's a clean and easy solution they can look at the data decide that it's too good and, and then pull the trigger making a change in the rules to companion is considerably more complex if you know they talk about how if they're going to ban if a deck is too good and they want to really take the wind out of its sails to make sure it's not just immediately back to tier one again they make sure that they get it right that they're gonna take enough out of it to keep it from just immediately uh taking over the top spot again they don't want to do that with companion either like they don't want to erotic companion and then find out that it's still too good uh which would be can you imagine them changing the rules on companion so that like you if you if, if Luris is your companion, you instead draw six cards sure. and then add like right and then add Luris as your seventh card, and then it's still too good. 
<laughs> like, what the hell do you do at that point, right? Then it's like, okay, do we change the rules again? Because this is just embarrassing. You know, there's so it's a type of thing where they really have to get it right. And it's going to be harder to figure out what right is than just banning the card. So this seems like a concession to, we'll give you back the old formats for now. We're going to leave standard alone because we need to sell the damn cards. And in the meantime, we're going to try and figure out how to truly fix this and make sure it's fixed because we got to get it right this time. Yeah, I think that's the right take. They, they are. I'm sure they are concerned. <laughs> They're all sitting, working from home chattering back and forth about what do we do about this i'm sure uh i'm sure some tough conversations are being had as, as they look over the lists for sets they haven't quite put to bed yet do we want to trim this back a little i i would guess that stuff in 2021 has to be a little less crazy you know you take the top five most push cards in the set in 2021 i would hope you will see that stuff get a little more scrutiny and be dialed back to the just excellent and not utterly broken level um, I mean, tuning is what, as we talked about last week, tuning is what they're supposed to be doing. Um, it's part of a lot of people's job description. I, I will tell you that, uh, you know, on that note, I'm a, a fan of Path of Exile, which is essentially a better Diablo. And they have been religiously releasing new content every three months for, I don't know, four years, five years, I think now. Well, Maybe closer to there, whatever. They've been very good about it for a couple of years now. Every three months that product hits. Um, and they just announced today or yesterday that the next expansion is delayed by anywhere from a week to three weeks because with the move to everyone working from home, it is much more harder, much harder to work collaboratively. Um because they're no longer in the office together, which which makes sense, right? And you can see that I would imagine that's the case in in many domains. And I think anyone who's gone from an office job to working at home has probably kind of noticed in some capacity that you lose a little bit of collaboration when you work from home. Uh, and some I, I remember hearing an anecdote about how Google had engineered their lunch lines so that it took a couple minutes to get your food rather than being able to just walk through quickly because when people stood around in lunch lines for a few minutes they chatted and they liked that that led to collaboration between staff so there's definitely some advantage to that face-to-face -face and sort of impromptu conversation anyways the point is this is a digital game that all of the work and play testing and what happens happens on a computer screen and they got pushed back one to three weeks you look at Wizards, who is make you know, when they're playing in the FFL and that type of work, they've got paper cards, they've got Sharpies, they've got stickers. You know, Mark Rosewater has talked about how he was losing a game in the FFL and took out a marker, changed the numbers on the card in his hand and cast it. Like, and he's like, okay, now I win. Like, they really function very physically in that group, I believe. And this whole work from home thing is probably honestly wreaking havoc on the way that they handle the balancing and the testing because uh, it seems very challenging to do that type of work in a digital environment, a strictly digital environment. Yeah. The One of the things that I think is interesting is that say, say this approach was to make the companion take up one of your opening hand slots. That affects does not affect all the other all the companions equally right it 
probably I would imagine Luris would probably still be playable in that paradigm. Yorion maybe not. It's certainly better the cheaper your uh companion is, right? The the more expensive the companion is, the longer it takes up space in your hand that it could be the a the longer the more expensive it is, the more likely it is to be disrupted in your hand. Yeah. That sounds right. So um I'm real curious. Let's put it this way. I'm not I haven't bought a single companion at, no. as a spec. And I don't want any I, I want to see them all drop through the floor and then I'll buy some for random personal casual decks this this change right here tells me a couple things it tells me a they we're not done there are going to be additional changes with companion it's clear looking at standard pioneer modern that there is going to be other changes and wizards just doesn't know what those changes are yet so i don't want to make any purchases at all based on any of this uh it tells me that I, I, I also might be interested in buying companions eventually, but I'm not doing it until I know what's going on. Um, I need to know more about how this is changing before I decide to go in on like the crummy companions, uh, because I want to know if the mechanic is being changed entirely before I start going after the ones that I think might survive bannings. Um and I'm not interested. I'm, I, and you know, to kind of to tie this back to segment one, and I don't remember exactly what we were talking about that I told you to put a pin in it on. But I'm also not eager to make any purchases based uh, in any constructed formats about what might be good when the companions are gone, because I don't know how that's going to happen or when it's going to happen. Because again, I think that we're not done here, but I don't know how they're going to keep making these changes, and I'm reluctant to go oh well Liliana's gonna be really good after they ban Luris but like maybe that's gonna be too long like I I don't know so I'm just there's still way too much uncertainty for me to be making any plays in any constructed format with the information that we've gleaned from this announcement yep agreed so one other thing just wanted to tackle was there was a fairly big announcement about the first ever cash prize arena tournament this week uh, I sent you a link over to your message box there. Uh, I see that. It's written by Lauren Orsini. She's a internet legacy here. That's, uh, oh God, what was her old website? You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Nope. So anyway. Oh. This is Go a... ahead, sorry. I'm just trying, I'm trying to remember who she was. An arena-style standard tournament, two days, and there's a max cash prize of $2,000. There's no top rate or anything. You just have to get to, you have to qualify for day two and then get to seven wins, and then you get the 2000 bucks. So I think that Frank Carson, of course, stepped up and put out a break even analysis where he figured out that i think you needed three or four wins on day two to break even something like that let me just see if i can track down frank's post here 
the math genius Frank Carson. Uh, break-even win point was at 52% game win rate. Okay. So it would get you your money back. So that's pretty solid. And the important point here is that for a long time, people felt like Magic Online tournaments couldn't have cash prizes because gambling. So obviously, Wizards has spoken to legal and worked their way around that, which opens up all sorts of possibilities for the future. Um, you know, mega tournaments, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 person tournaments online with serious cash prizes. I... I guess I don't – I'm having tr- – am I missing a detail here? I'm having trouble caring. Okay. Well, you're not playing either Magic Online or Arena right now, right? No. I'm Hold on. I'm, rook- I'm looking through this here. So put this in context of, say, me, who has just gotten into arenas and, and is enjoying themselves. But I'm not playing Standard. I haven't played any standard on Arena. This standard format does not look enjoyable. <laughs> if I was playing standard on Arena, I would probably just play the Jeskai Yorion build because it seems like the best deck and then roll the dice on whether or not I could make day two. The nice thing here is if you ever did, if you used to play big tournaments on Magic Online, actually, I mean, if, you still, if you're playing big tournaments on Magic Online today, you have to sit there and play through the whole thing all in one sitting. Yeah. So it takes up a day in your week. You're committing a Saturday or a Sunday many times um, when you could be out with friends and family. Now, during the lockdown is a perfect time to test whether people would accept those kind of conditions, but this gives you a lot of flexibility because as with my draft league, where I drafted a deck this morning and then still haven't touched it yet, um, you can just, you just have to play, I think, seven games on day one, if I'm not mistaken, and you can play them at any point during the day. So you can, you don't have to give up your whole day. You could start playing in the morning over breakfast and then go out with your family for a walk in, in the woods or whatever and come back, go through de- decontamination for an hour and a half and then sit down and finish up the rest of your games. Well, it's certainly nice for, that it seems to combine uh, what Moto has offered, which is slightly higher stakes events with the flexibility of arena's self-paced play. Uh, I mean, the self-paced part is definitely great here. But I guess I, I... I don't know. I look at this and I go, okay, arena's giving away some cash prizes. Like, it's not a tremendous amount of money. It seems solid. It's nice. It's it's a little surprising they're giving away actual cash. Like, that's definitely a change of pace. But I don't have an immediate reaction to that being significant either, other than it being an outlier. These are best of one. So in terms of total time spent, you basically have to win 14 games, no losses to get the two grand. You got to go 14 to no. And you, okay. and you don't get to sideboard. So if you do that in paper, you get you win a GP. Sure. Which is 10 grand or whatever, or 20 grand. And, and the recognition of having want a gp sure um but you don't there's no top eight so and you could get matched you know you could be matched against people who are you know i'm not 
entirely sure it largely depends on how big the tournament is but if the tournament is large enough depending on what time of day you're playing you might might you know if you played early enough in the day on both days i think that's probably the strategy because the greatest number of players are still left in the tournament that uh don't necessarily have the legs to get to the next stage if you're playing last minute on the Sunday, for instance, you're probably just playing the other people. <laughs> you, you're going to 100% be matched against the other 6-0 six and, six and o people. But maybe if you play early enough in the day, you can get matched up against a 5-1 and one when you're 6-0. and o. I don't know. Uh, well, if, you're, if, that's your, if that's your angle, then aren't you supposed to play at really weird times of the days in hopes that you know, if you're five and O that there's no other five and O on. So it puts you with a four one. Maybe. I mean, that's, that could be one angle. I I wonder if you are always matched against someone with the exact record as you in this situation, unless they can't find it for X amount of time. Like, do they just keep you in the lobby waiting for that person to show? I wonder what happens if you, if you try to get a, get matched with someone at like 11, 50 on the sunday and they don't find a match for you i I would imagine you just get maximum punish (laughs) probably i i don't like i don't see them giving you the benefit of the doubt (laughs) i don't think you get the free win in the two thousand dollars in that situation no i think they're just gonna be i think it's gonna be you are required to have gotten your seven wins in and like we're confident that that will option will be available to you and if you wait until there's 20 minutes left to get three matches in it's not our fault that you didn't do it yeah so i'm not super interested in this standard tournament i don't think i will play i mean in the standard format so i don't think i'll play in this tournament but i i I think it's an interesting development because cash prizes has good pr jobs like that will draw activity into a platform well, yeah, you'll certainly get a little more activity than you would have otherwise, because if they say, oh, we're running an event and the first prize is 10,000 gems and crystals and MacGuffins, I'm going to be like, I don't know what the fuck any of this is. I don't, I don't care. And if they're like, we're giving away 10 grand if you win seven matches on Arena, I'm going to be like, uh, okay. Like, I know what that means. Um, You know. I can't go play constructed on arena all of a sudden because I don't have a collection. So that's not going to happen overnight, but I can see there's probably plenty of people who do play like yourself and people who play less than you who have played on arena aren't necessarily consistent players. uh, But if you put real money on the line are more inclined to make an effort to get involved than they would be for things that let you play more magic i I think if i was a very strong constructed standard player knew the format very well and had already been grinding and doing well with my deck i would take the shot because if i'm pretty pretty confident i can at least five two or six one the first day then i might just get lucky in seven oh but in my current situation where i have played none of the standard you're just feeding prize money into the pool (laughs) because yeah. you're going to go 3 4 4 3 5 2 at best probably against the people that know the format very well and and especially a format what? this narrow where it's very unlikely you're going to bring something to the table they're not ready for what's the entry fee i missed it yeah don't have that at my fingertips 
but I'm sure it's not super cheap. I mean, is this something that they would charge $40 for? Uh, would not surprise me. Whew. I think it's maybe, maybe it's 20 bucks. Yeah. Entry fee is 20 bucks. 20. Okay. 20, 20 is like money, but not excruciating 40. Your margins are atrocious. Pretty sure. Wow. I, it, it, it's, it's, it's mildly amusing. It's mildly interesting, but I don't think it's going to matter too much. All right. So moving right along, uh, cards to watch. Uh, I got some juicy stuff here, but a lot of it's in Europe. So I actually have European members tell me all the time that we need more European content. And it's been a while since I've been excited to be buying much in Europe, but this arbitrage gap is, cannot be ignored. So do do wait, do you know, and will you tell me on air the percentage of our membership that's European? Mm, Yes, I do know. I won't say the exact number, but it's, it's low. Like most of our most of our members are, are in the U.S. Like Canada and Europe okay. would make up less than fifteen percent total together, and smatterings from all over the place. Other than that, like J- Japan, Australia, South America, etc. We have members on it wasn't, five. It wasn't meant to be a challenge. I was just curious. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, <laughs> it's not tremendously competitive. Like competitive intelligence. <laughs> one way or the other um because those are fairly normal things i mean the u.s market is always going to be the biggest segment of anybody's uh magic uh membership uh but anyway uh for the members who can reach from europe and keep in mind that anything you're buying in europe you gotta have a plan to get because we as we've talked about a couple times lately we have group buys that have been frozen at the border for weeks and are may or may not ever appear so you really want to be letting, knowing that the stuff you buy in Europe right now, you might not see for a month, two months, three months. If you do try to ship it to yourself, pay more to make it a bigger package, pay more and get it like fully tracked via FedEx or something so that you have some accountability because it's the non-corporatized border services that are probably the problem. Uh, yeah. We did have a couple of our group buys land this week, one on the West Coast of the U.S., so I we're not completely stuck in the mud, but we'll see. Um, all of that being said, Ghidorah, King of the Cosmos, is the Aluna Godzilla variant that is a box topper or shows up uh, in the collector boosters or shows up in uh, Japanese booster boxes. And it is selling for between 150 and 200 dollars in japan and keep in mind that japan prices are already more settled because they've had this product on the shelves for a month so this isn't like first weekend hype spike this is a month later five weeks later actually in the u.s it's closer to something like 60 to 65 right now and it's being it got pressured up from closer to 40 and in europe i was buying these the other day at 20 sub 25 dollars all in. Haven't seen a gap like this on premium magic cards since we were buying up masterpiece inventions. Is that correct? Uh, I guess the I guess uh, the other one is some Japanese. Uh, no, I think War of the Spark Japanese stuff was more Japan to everywhere else arbitrage. Europe didn't have any access to the product, 
So yeah, I think from Europe yeah. anyway, it's been since Masterpiece Inventions that this has looked this tasty. Uh, yeah, who is buying this card? Got, I, I'm not giving got, you a hard time about it. I've got it's. You got to think about this card. We we've had this conversation a couple times in the Discord this week, and my answer remains the same. This is like the Amano Lily Lily Amano Amano Lily of this set. Um. People didn't understand why that card was worth a lot of money either. People underestimate the fact that Japan is a first world nation with a very unique culture that has a long and storied history with Godzilla products. So Godzilla fans <laughs> are buying this card. Um, oh, okay. I don't, I don't doubt that. I'm just looking at it and like who, who, who is interested in paying that much for it? But uh, I mean, you know, the, I'm not going to argue the numbers. If those are the numbers, those are the numbers. And it's a good buy if that's the case. Uh, I'm just kind of curious about where the where the demand actually is. Um, not in a way of like, prove it to me, but in a more of like, I'm curious, where does it come from? So, so you, but but is it fair to say then that this you see this primarily as a, um, as a collector's edition, essentially? I'm hoping that the U.S. is going to get to 80 to 100 on these. And that my sub thirty dollar copies are I'm going to be able to flip in the sixty to seventy range confidently within six months. The long term play, since I own uh, foil Amano lilies as well, is that if when I get a chance to go back to Japan, which I intend to do in the next couple of years, I will import all of this <laughs> Japan specific collectible magic stuff and then export EDH stuff and have a very nice time. Yeah. Yep, I when I was in Japan a couple of years ago, I did real nice just picking up the EDH stuff there uh, and bringing it back stateside. And some of it took a little longer to move than others, but uh, it was it was pleasant. And I didn't even go that hard on it, so you could definitely make a point of that if it was your if it was your goal. This is also um, this is also something you can use as a token to ma- maneuver your way into a relationship with somebody in Japan, right? Like you can. If they can sell these on for you, you can. If you'll be my wife, who I'll give you Godzilla cards. <laughs> if you, if they help you get those sold, they can take a cut, and then that can set up the relationship where they maybe they can source some stuff locally and send it back your way. Um, the because I was picking up some pretty tasty triomes and Japanese foil triomes and stuff at smaller Japanese shops last week, and shipping them to a partner in Japan who will ship them on to me later. Um, no rush to get my hands on those because they're a mid to long term hold but wasn't going to ignore any of that because I think I got some of those foil triumphs at 15 bucks US like Japanese foil anime art like cartoon art triumphs that's just crazy uh, and now this is the whole a whole different thing you got to get the Ghidorahs from Europe <laughs> take possession at some point in the US and then later figure out if you're selling them to buy listing them in the US or sending them on to Japan. The thing is that got me to finally pull the trigger was that the buy list backing on these was already at like 30 bucks plus on CK the other day in credit and now it's at 4550. And you can still get these under 40 bucks in Europe. So there's no risk involved. So I uh, just just to be clear, do you bought any do you have any in hand at the moment? Zero. Okay. I haven't touched Ikoria product what, yet, like physically. It, it, 
do you have a plan for how you're going to get them over there? I'm just assuming that you're just I'm just assuming that anything in Europe is stuck there for at least two months. Okay, because I mean, like I I I have a friend who lives in Japan. Um, he's been teaching English over there for years. He's the one that I went and visited, you know, when I was there a couple of years ago. So I have the option of just buying these U.S. copies at you know. 70 bucks or whatever and they'll get here i know they'll show up in america uh maybe not right away but you know they don't take that long and then getting them to japan is the hard part well outband outband mail in japan is a no-go right now they're not shipping so you whatever you ship and i'm not clear on what's happening inbound so you'd have to double check on that so this is this is that's what i'm wondering about the optimal here is that your european shipping partner just ships them onto japan for you or if you're placing a large enough order for because this isn't the only godzilla card you can target there are some others we could talk about um if you place you know a several hundred dollar order on card magic card market in europe with the same vendor you could just send them a request to ship direct to your partner in japan and skip you completely now that's that's an angle right there is trying to get these over <laughs> to, pl- to, pl- to play that role. Uh, but you still have to get it out of Europe and into Japan, though. True. But you got to double check on. Yeah, that still seems messy. Now, I, listen, I, I'm only, I'm not telling you that any of this is a bad idea. I'm just I'm asking you these detailed questions because I'm like, shit, I can go buy these on TCG Player for 70 bucks. And if they're really going for 150 in Japan, I will... I will start doing the homework tonight to see if I can get those over there because that's a nice little turnaround. Um, I mean, when I see 150 in Japan, I kind of assume that the non, like Hiroyuya is the one that's got it at 150 to 200. They're the Star City games okay. in Japan. What's a small yeah. store selling it for? Probably closer to 100 would be my guess. And how fast are they moving? I have no idea. I don't have on the ground intel yeah. over there. So, you know, how deep do you want to be on these? Probably not super deep because there's just too many unknowns until you get feedback from folks that know the Japanese market well. There are a few people in our Discord that can answer those kinds of questions, so I will definitely be reaching out to them to get some some additional uh, local flavor, as it were. Um, and I'm not going to buy 100 of these, but I did buy eight of the Ghidorahs the other day because the price... Be- because CK covers it, like I'm already up 15 or 20 bucks into CK credit even during the crisis that's a pretty nice place to be and if and if an opportunity yeah. to ship them off somewhere else opens up then i'll take it well yeah and i'm not expecting you to have every answer and uh also this is hardly useful the well we'll see what the people on our discord have to say is <laughs> kind of funny it makes this a little less useful for them but well, i think we're, the we're talking about Intel like is- three people in our discord out of hundreds of members right so yeah Right. And not everybody knows the right person to talk to to get the information. In fact, three people today asked me for contacts in Japan, and I don't refer them specifically to the people that I know could help them in our Discord because otherwise they would be overwhelmed by 100 requests just because the ratio is so high. So I leave it to the yeah. members to connect with one another on their own terms. Um, well, If I play matchmaker, it gets messy. I am going to make the point of looking this up, I think, or uh, seeing if I can at least get some information out of our listeners as to what the movement is uh, on those cards, because I am curious about that. You know, can you actually sell these things reliably? 
because I'm curious for myself. None of this, of course, helps most of the people listening to this. I just want you to hear about my plan to make money. <laughs> so, but but I like all the numbers here. All the numbers are really good. This is, I mean, it's good enough that it's worth looking into. And if you have any of the resources available to you to, to capitalize on this, it's certainly worth exploring. So here's one of the things that's confusing me. Let me ask you this. Do... Foil Godzilla Alunas, i.e. Ghidorahs, exist in Spanish? Uh, you are asking the wrong person. I'm guessing you're not super up to speed on which fancy versions of cards in Ikoria are and which products. And, th- and herein lies the problem. I thought I was, <laughs> but apparently I'm not. Because there are Spanish copies listed on card market that I didn't know existed. I think that's... Like, I thought that the box toppers would be in every language, but that the box toppers were English non-foil. That collector boosters were the only other source of the foil Godzillas that weren't in Japanese collector, I mean, Japanese booster boxes. And as such, shouldn't there only be English, Japanese, and French, since they added French collector boosters this time? (laughs) So it used to be that I would know all of this stuff, that I was very good about keeping up with it. Uh, That ended when they started making so many special products and none of them had the same distribution models. And now I only look where it's relevant. And I'll tell you where it's never relevant. Spanish cards? Uh, Spanish cards. But my my question, though, is whether I'm wondering, you know how I told you earlier, I think it was off cast, about how card market doesn't list these as Ghidorah. They list them as a Luna Apex of Wishes version 2. Mm-hmm, I'm worried mm-hmm. that vendors in Europe have been listing these without realizing they're supposed to be selling the Godzilla cards. And that, in fact, people are going to end up getting sent a Luna foil Spanish mythics with regular art. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Which would be a real mess. Last thing you want is sitting on like $300 worth of inventory that shows up wrong edition Spanish. Uh, I don't even know, man. That just seems like a mess all around. Yep. So I, I, I only ordered English, of course, so I'm pretty sure I'm safe. And I did check some of, some of the listings that I ordered from did have pictures and it was the right card. So not everybody is has their head on screwed backwards, but I'm going to have to double check on these Spanish copies and see if they actually exist. Because I see, I see German copies as well, and that makes no sense to me either. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would bet you that that is somebody who has just listed them wrong. Would be and, my unless, guess, but yeah, because the box toppers aren't foil. I don't think. Uh, I, that I don't know either. Without, I would have to go look specifically because box toppers to me have always been foil, but like they've been changing this stuff. And again, if I'm not in the middle of it, I don't know anymore. Bottom line. Ghidorah, King of the Cosmos. It was too cheap last weekend. It's still pretty cheap in Europe. You should buy some. I don't know how I feel about $60 to $70 copies in the US. It's more risky because the buy list doesn't cover the spread yet. So make your own judgment calls. People were asking me in Discord this week, like they some people had opened these. Some people had even opened Japanese ones in their Japanese collector booster boxes that they ordered through MVP Sports. Um, do I sell or not? I think the Japanese is probably a hold. Uh, and I think the English is a hold for now. And if I start to see the Japanese posted prices floating down and or the CK buy list closes up shop, then things will be a little different. But mm-hmm. for, 
for now, I wouldn't be in a rush to, to sell this specific card. Um, all right, we've spent enough time on this one. What's your first pick of the week? Well, I uh, I started out, you know, especially after my experience this week and with what was selling, what was not selling, I wasn't even bothering with Constructed. So I went straight to EDH to see what I could find, um, especially after I sold, you know, I had a lot of orders. I mean, like 10 times more orders than I'm used to in a week wow. after I listed all the stuff. Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to clearly people are buying some stuff. So I'm going to focus on that. Um, I went down the EDH hole again and stumbled upon some of the stained glass stuff and start and the and the secret layer and stained glass products so everything i'm going to talk about this week is those because that's kind of what caught my eye this week um the first card that i i narrowed in on i started out with ral zarek who i think still seems fine the stained glass ral zarek seemed fine several cards seemed fine but you the mean, one you mean ral storm conduit yes yeah, sure. yeah who's he's still ral zarek just not the planeswalker, not the card Ralzeric, the person Ralzeric. Um and 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 I'm interested to hear your take on all this is on these cards as well, because I think you've been a little deeper in the secret layer products um at times, especially on some of the stained glass information than I have. So there may be a facet of this that I have overlooked, but uh, I, my the first thing I zeroed in on was Jace Wielder of Mysteries. This is the four mana one that does a, a uh, laboratory maniac impression. You can pick up the stained glass Jace Wielder of Mysteries for around thirty five dollars right now. Um, there are twenty five vendors on TCG Player with. No one having more than two copies. Most people have one. And the number of copies under 40, it looks like, is probably about 10 or so. Um, now, why Jace Wielder Mysteries? Well, he is in about 13,000 EDH rec decks, uh, which is quite a number for a card that I would consider rel- you know, quite new, frankly, War of the Spark. Uh, in comparison, um, and I was using, I've been using Narset, uh, Parter of Veils as sort of my frame of reference for Jace here. Narset's in about 16,000 decks, so roughly 20% more decks. Um, this month, Jace was the second most played commander or second most played planeswalker in EDH, um, by raw numbers, not percentage raw numbers. And I'm more interested in raw numbers because I want to see how many decks does he land in, not how popular is he amongst blue decks. I'm interested in how many copies get sold. Uh, and I'm, I'm focusing on popularity this month because if you look at, for instance, some of the, um, uh, Theros gods like Erebus or Erois, who who read relatively popular, maybe nine, ten thousand decks each, they don't even track on the most popular cards uh, recently. Um, although now that I say that out loud, I might have been looking for them on the Planeswalker page, not the Creature page. So maybe that's why they didn't show up. But regardless. Uh, Jace is very popular recently, which is also important. Now, he's slightly less popular than Narset, but Narset is twice as expensive. So she's at around $65, whereas Jace is uh, floating around $35. Uh, That definitely is more than your 20% 
EDH play difference. You know, you can talk about format play. Uh, Narset shows up more in, uh, I have this in front of me and I closed the tab, so I don't know. Narset shows up more in one of the constructed formats. I'm going to say it's modern, but Jace shows up more in the other constructed format. I think it's pioneer and I could have those reversed, but the point is, is that, you know, I'm, or, or maybe they both were both, neither of them show up in pioneer, but they both show up in modern and Narset is like barely more played than jace i mean we're talking like 23rd and 25th most played cards in the format um and it's it's not significant the point being is that the constructed play doesn't tell the story of narset being uh significantly more in demand than jace is so given how popular he is in edh and that he's still tracking well in constructed formats and his price is considerably less than Narsa. I think you've got a good opportunity here to get in at 35 and get out probably between 60 and 70, I would imagine. Yeah, I like this play mid to long term. Um, there's a number of factors. Cross format appeal. Jace is a huge card in EDH. He's also a big, big card in, in Pioneer. With or without Yorion, Inverter decks are still going to exist. And they seem to be good without being busted, which is important here. Um, you know, if that deck is targeted in any way anytime soon, it's going to be via Yorion, not via Jace or Inverter. Um, they seem fine with the, the, the archetype. It's just dubious what's going to happen with Yorion. The other interesting point is that there are, uh, as you may not be aware, two instances where this card was released. So the first was in the first set of Secret Layers uh, at the end of 2019, and it only showed up in the Restless in Peace uh, box set, which was the one that was focused on um, dredge cards for the most part, most part, right? Bloodgast and Life from the Loam and Golgari Thug. Mm-hmm. So the... Cannot believe I remembered those. The Restless in Peace one, they all came with jace there wasn't a variety as as opposed to oh no sorry that's not true they could have had restless in peace could have had jace soren tamio or ashiok so you probably had like a one in four chance of a jace there and then if you got the thassa version of the uh, thero secret layer drop you could get any of jace kasmina narset bolus ral tamio teferi Ashiok, Dovin, Kiora, or Sahili. So it was never a one-to-one. Also, a big chunk of the stargazing uh, secret layer drop has not made it into people's hands yet because it got held up at the warehouse. And that's probably the bulk of them. So one of the one of the problems in the midterm is that come June or July, a bunch of those stargazings could land and flood the market with more Jaces. Now how big of a flood will that be remains to be seen. Does that set Jace back three months, a month, six months, a year? I'm not 100% sure because I don't know how many extra stargazings were ordered, but it could be that it doubles or triples the Jace inventory, which will put a damper on the spec and might actually just mean that you're supposed to wait till that weekend and then go hard at this because they could, they could well, currently, what, what's the price? Uh, 35 or so 36 yeah so i would say that that especially if people are still in quarantine or a big chunk of north america is still in quarantine at that point but that stuff has landed and you know things are easing up a bit in the economy you could probably see still see downward pressure that would push them down to say the price is still 35 heading into it they could get pushed down to 25 and that might be the entry point 
Well, so that that's what I wasn't sure about. Is I saw that they he was in, um, the the Theros stargazing, right? That's what you said he was in Theros stargazing. Yeah, it was it was the second. Okay, I, yes, I didn't realize, and I checked the date on that, which was February, but I didn't realize that that had gotten stuck at the warehouse. I think I read that and then kind of forgot about it well there's a, there's 11 blue planeswalkers that could ship in the thassa version okay. so if if there's like say twenty thousand units of stargazing left to be distributed and they were roughly equally ordered so say four thousand of those are the one with the blue planeswalkers and you have a one in 11 chance at adjacent there and i'm not sure if they're equal distribution or if it's based on rarity i have to triple check that but Say they are all equal rarity, then you have something like roughly 350 copies of the Jace making it into the market. That's not very much. No, I mean, it's a lot more than the, you know, 45 that are on TCG player right now. Of course, 350 total copies, you know, you figure 80% of those aren't getting sold, I would guess. And if there was 10,000 of the Thassa sold... Then you'd be looking at no more than a thousand extra copies of the Jace. And what percentage of those would be absorbed into collections instead of resold? Probably no more than maybe 60% absorption, 40% resale, somewhere in that range. So you could, you could see four to 600 Jaces in the worst case land in the market midsummer. Which would be a lot. I mean, there's no question about that's, that. Like, that's that globally, be, though, with with a with a majority of it in the U.S. Uh, okay, uh, sure. Uh, I mean, I would imagine though that if we're talking about secret layer, that's primarily going to be America, though, that those land in. Yep, the majority, probably so, more than two thirds, maybe three quarters. I guess, I get the the secret layer. Thero stargazing having gotten delayed definitely changes the math a little bit. But I think that Jace is probably going to be a good buy regardless. Even if it's not now, then it's probably when these stargazings finally make it to people's mailboxes and we get that bump of inventory. Although, you know, at that point, there might be better options in the short term. So I don't know. I guess this is actually... Oh wait, probably. not as good as I thought it was, I guess. But that's well, no, fine, I think I, I, I think the pick is week. excellent. I'm just not sure if the timing is this week or six weeks from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what do you got for us? So the other uh, big time Ikoria card from an EDH perspective that I think has great hinge style legs longer term is Luminous Broodmoth. Having played with and against this card a lot in, I- in Ikoria uh, Limited, I have become all too familiar with the power level of whenever your creatures die, they just come back flying. Not as one ones or something just as themselves. So I kill your five, five and you've got a brood moth in play. So now you have a flying five, five is exactly the kind of nonsense that will appeal to EDH players. It's a super unique effect. Very few things do this kind of thing. You don't get cards very often that, that bring creatures back with no penalty. And the extended art foils in Europe were, I was picking them up at 25 bucks the other day. 
And I would imagine that these are going to be 40, 50, 60, $70 cards down the road. That's uh that's an improvement there. But it, I, I mean, I agree with you. The, whenever a card do X, you know, line of dialogue is a powerful and dangerous one. Um, and I know we had talked about this card as being a, a, a worthwhile, noteworthy card at the time. Uh, do you know when we were doing this with Dan, this card being a big deal and you get that, the, the Mothra version though, that is cool. I do like that. So these are 25 bucks right now in Europe on TCG. They're at 50 bucks. Uh, okay that's what it is that's it that's the angle eight, yeah eight, i love getting eight, these. Well. 18 euro in europe <sighs> yeah that's that's good if you can snag these at 18 euro yeah that's real good that's some tasty tasty action there yeah i mean buy list on ck for these is currently uh let's see what will they give us for a mothra foil 35.75 slam dunk arbitrage wow that's a that's that a really clean good. double up even if you're only shipping card kingdom mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well c- good luck to anyone who's listening to this after it goes public <laughs> well that's why you should be a member so that you can easily easily cover your cost of the measly yeah. eight bucks a month yeah there you go there's your uh your weekly or monthly reason to be a pro trader because if you listen to this you made your yearly membership make your bones um okay well that's very straightforward very obvious i like it um maybe not obvious and, very very easy and, and your final pick this week is simply forest yes forest just buy forests any of them all of them uh global warming is going to make these more valuable um yes the the snow-covered forest from the snow-covered secret lair, I forget the name. Uh, Eldraine cur- Wonderland or something? Yeah, that sounds roughly, that sounds correct. So there are nine vendors on TCG Player right now for a total of like 25 copies. Uh, some of them are about $16, but they jump up to 20 Um and above pretty quickly it's actually one of the highest selling secret layer cards on tcg player Um, on tcg player you can sort by best selling so if you look at secret layer and sort by best selling um you know the the top the number one most popular card and individual cards here i'm looking at is sliver overlord and there are a couple more but uh it is the three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth most popular individual secret layer card, period, of all the secret layers on TCG Player. Uh, second land, Island is more popular, and then it's Forest. The Islands are currently $30. Um, the Forest is, like I said, uh, what did I say, $15, $17 right now. Um, there's no inventory. You're not going to see them again. This came out back in December. So I'm relatively confident that all of the forests that are going to be out there are out there, that there's not a re, you know, there's not more of this stuck in a warehouse someplace. Um, so I, I, 
these could be 40 or 50 dollar cards right this, like, is, this is real not this tomorrow. is real hot for this to go to like 17 to 30 and give you 75 percent minus fees etc at some point seems real good and one of the things that makes this so good is that these are snow covered lands i i ignored this completely because having been part of the people the posse that bought tons of modern horizons last summer and then got told pioneer was more or less could be replacing modern snow covered lands looked real bad end of 2019 but the people that bought these up found that they were in the minority like this this set didn't sell super well but arkham's astrolab is dominating in modern and legacy so everybody's running snow covered basics and not everybody liked the art on the snow covered basics in modern horizons so there are only a few options which makes this just a yeah. slam dunk as, as long as Astrolab yeah, remains unbanned, that these are going to keep appreciating. That, and that, I guess that's the that's the fail state here is that these are good because of Astrolab, and that could change. and Ice Fang Quaddle and sh- right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Astrolab, Ice Fang Quaddle, and in generally snow covered lands in modern are are good right now. And if that changes, maybe this loses all of its momentum. Um, and maybe even backslides. Uh, I don't know. I don't have that answer for you. It's hard. I, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I think that's a reasonable possibility. I, I don't know how this one backslides because I don't see where any additional inventory could ever come from. It, it, yeah, you're right. It's probably it wouldn't backslide. Uh, it might stall pretty hard, but probably isn't going to go backwards because you know snow covered land covered lands from Ice Age still had some value. Uh, back before snow was in modern. You know, I'm willing to bet these are actually more lines. expensive in Europe as well because the secret layers were so expensive to get to Europe. Starting with the newest secret layers, they are distributing the product direct from a European warehouse. So that's going to change the game. But with the original secret layers, that was not taking place. So there's no no arbitrage to be had globally on these Anybody who wants these had to get them from the U.S., which means this is the kind of thing you could probably add to the pile of cards you were going to drop off in Japan. I'm willing to bet you the, the buy list on these at Harajuku is probably pretty sexy. Uh, yeah, possibly. Lots of modern and legacy I, players I, in the country. Probably lots of them running four-color snow control decks, as the Japanese are wont to do, and with zero access to this particular forest. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that's uh, quite quite possible kind of thing i would want to have in a binder heading into a japanese gp although (laughs) scratch that maybe heading into a shop tour but i'm pretty sure gps you're not allowed to sell even trade anything without a vendor license uh yeah i remember there was something wacky but i didn't know if it had was still true or wasn't true anymore or what the status was so maybe you want to just have have a friend that can get your listing up locally uh for sale on a message board or whatever over there where a lot of the mm-hmm. a lot of the action is. All right, my final pick of the week, so we can wrap this up. Ketria Triomes. Um, which one? What's the actual name of this card? Yeah, it's just called Ketria Triome. <laughs> so Ketria Triomes are the teamer colored triomes. Uh, I don't think it's my favorite art. I think that uh, distinction belongs to the Abzan Triome. I don't know what your favorite is since you tend to not like anime art anyway, but yeah, Indatha Triome, I think, is my favorite art. 
Um, but the Ketria Triumphs are already important because they're being run in both standard decks and in modern in the Team or Scapeshift builds, which run three to four copies. So we've got an early front runner for the Triome that matters in the most format simultaneously. Of course, all the Triomes are going to see significant play in EDH and, in fact, are registered as the most important Ikoria cards uh, on EDH rec thus far. And I would imagine they will maintain that title as time goes on. So everybody in our Discord is trying to figure out what... It's not whether you want to own Triome, Altart Triomes. It's how many, which ones, and at which price points. So we have some members that have been going pretty hard on social media this week, gathering up Triomes uh, non-foils at 6 to $7. I'm more inclined to go after foil Triomes where I can. Market price on them is about 25 right now. And I'm just not, I haven't run my math yet on how many of these probably exist and how that compares to some of the other premium cards from the last year. Until I do that, I'm not sure how deep I want to go because I'm not clear on whether that 25 could turn into 15 or whether it's headed for 30 to 50 in a hurry. But if I had to pick a Triumph to buy at $25, I'd be picking Ketria to go say 24 to 40 within a year. Uh, these all look cool. I will give you that. They're not anime, for the record. I don't think these are comic, comic book, book art, not sure. anime. Which is a big difference. Big difference. Uh, I think I like the Indasta the most, but that's because I'm a sucker for purple. And that plays heavily in that art. Yep. I like Indasta the most, too. But but really, these are these are all very good alternate arts. So yeah, they are very excellent. And here's the thing that people need to understand about these. These are not collector booster specific. They are not exclusive to collector boosters. They're also not exclusive to Japanese booster boxes as some of the other options in this Ikoria card product lineup might be. Um, these are more common in collector boosters and collector boosters of course as we mentioned earlier exist in english japanese and french this time around um they can be found in regular booster boxes but at a fairly modest drop rate uh, because they're they're a rare land with showcase art so it's alt they're alt art well they're showcase rares that's the simplest way to put it so they are likely to follow a price point similar to a good showcase rare as we have come to understand them. But they have immediate cross-format appeal as cycling tri-lands that can be fetched up. And since we're already seeing them show up in successful decks, three or four ofs in modern, leads me to believe that many of these will show up, end up showing up in Pioneer as well. And I think you're going to want to own original printing showcase of these two, three, four, five years from now. These could be very pricey cards indeed. Yes, they are awesome looking. And if you're going to own these things, these are definitely the coolest ones to own. Um, oh boy, so it's it's tw- the and the foil you're, the foils are twenty five bucks right now for the Catrias. Yeah. So that's that's right? basically that if you believe that showcase rares. Are basically 50% uh, of the population of foil rares, but foil rares got boosted by 50%, then you'd have 50% more copies, but then this would be basically 75% as 
populous as a normal foil wearer as of a year ago. <laughs> if that makes sense. And I got to triple check all that, right. triple check all that math, but, uh, and run my long winded article on the topic. But I suspect that these are to be treated as though they are a little more rare than old school foil rares. You, that sounds like it's probably, you know, roughly correct. Uh, and given that, I think these are 25 bucks is a very solid price point to be getting into this type of card. Um, but not a red hot a very, deal. Like at 15, I'd, be, I'd load up. But these aren't these ones are not any cheaper in Europe. I, I suspect whatever good deals existed in Europe on these got picked off pretty quick. Um, and currently Europe's prices seems to be harmonized with the U.S. I think that you're talking about a card that's going to be popular in virtually every format. Uh, it's legal in some capacity. They look awesome. Paying 25 bucks for a foil land is not exceptional. Um, anyone who's been playing Magic for a while knows that foil lands, you know, float around 10 to $20 anyways. So getting the all arts for that much, for barely much more, seems like a good deal. They're going to look great down the road, especially since these are likely to be significant cards, especially in Commander, where the three land types is definitely going to be relevant yeah, where other decks, other formats, it's might it is partially relevant, but maybe not as much so. Now, one of the things that's interesting here is whether they will show up in promo packs with the little silver Planeswalker stamp on them, because that will distract somewhat in the market because it adds additional copies. Um, I would presume that could happen and then be happy if it didn't. But remember that we've seen that the Card Kingdom buy list on the promo copies ends up actually being even higher because they can't just crack product to get those. So they probably sell less of them, but they have harder time keeping them in stock because the supply via their buy list is lower. So you might actually, if you spot some of those at some point, if they end up existing, then they might be worth worth a look, especially if they're priced a little lower than the regular ones. The other thing is, it's not just that these are showcase like alt art. They are way, way better looking than the regular arts, which are totally fine, upstanding magic card citizens, but they don't even hold a candle. Like if you look look at the two versions of the card side by side, there is zero question as to which version you're going to want to own. And if, even if you're saying, well, you know, foils curl so easily. Okay, just go after the non-foils then. Get them as low as you can. Five bucks, six bucks, seven max probably right now, based on what I'm seeing. And you're going to do just fine in the long term. The because competitive players going after triumphs, if they need to use them, will prefer the non-foils for the most part, but not all. Um, you know, scapeshift decks are, have that kind of longevity that players that own them may be foiling them out. And I think both versions are going to do just fine. Oh, yeah. I And I... Um... Oh, shoot. I had a thought and I lost it. <laughs> Got to write notes to yourself. I like it, like the guy Memento. I do. Okay, so the my I, and I don't I don't have another formal pick for you. I just want to toss out there that uh, I saw several opportunities in the stained glass stuff. I think Ashiak was one of them. It seemed like there were a couple others that might be worth looking into. I think that's generally a 
a relatively rich vein right now, especially for any secret layers that were released last year or haven't been delayed because those inventories are basically maxed, or I should say are are done. Um, you're not getting more of them. So there's definitely some opportunity out there, I think, uh, if you want to go do the homework. Sure. Makes sense to me. Uh, okay. Where can our listeners find you, James? You guys can find me online via Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. And I am also consistently haunting the ProTrader Discord, helping all our members get max value out of their membership. Also, like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. You aren't going to ask me where our listeners can find me? Where can they find you? Rude. Rude. Uh, I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I might update it if James ever provides me with a better handle. I'm working uh, on it. It's been lax in that department, so it is what it is for now. Um, and I'd also like to remind you that MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Which brings us to the end of episode, oh, what is that, 220, right? Yep. We're at here. That's right. 220, a lot of episodes, more to come, more to talk about, plenty of magic going on lately, uh, and probably some more magic in the near future. So, it's been a good time, James, and uh, I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.